Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Mike Rossi. I'm Alex Chavez. I'm Alex Mueller. I'm Nathan Clevenger. And I'm Billy Smith. And today, Countercharge has assembled a crack team of dwarf experts, the brains behind the beards, to review all things Dwarf in 3rd Edition. But first, we have a few newcomers to the podcast. We all, of course, remember Alex Chavez, the master himself, and Nathan Clevenger, the almost master himself in previous episodes. Chavez was also on our 2nd Edition Dwarf Review, which was one of the most popular episodes of the show. And Nathan was on our Empire of Dust Review with Dustin Howard and Devlin Smith. However, we now have internet-famous Alex Mueller (laughs) and Mike Rossi on our show. So Alex, if you would, we're probably going to call you guys by last names because there's two Alexes that's going to get confusing. So Mr. Mueller, if you would, um, give us your gaming origin story. Kind of tell us how you got into Kings of War. Uh, Sure. So I started off kind of like most people did in high school playing 40K and Warhammer Fantasy I was a former Bretonian player and Wood Elf player, and uh, so I, I loved it. I played a bunch of 5th and 6th edition Warhammer especially. Um, I got a little bit salty with GW because Bretonians never got a new book after 6th edition, and Wood Elves got one out of the three editions. <laughs> so um, between those and Power Creep, that made me a little bit uh, turned off, but then also I, I got married, I had kids and I went to law school and so I just kind of got off track with war gaming and I, I sold everything on eBay and took a 10-year hiatus basically and then one day my, my kids were actually getting Pokemon cards at a, at a local gaming shop and Russ Barnes was there and he saw me just kind of sniffing around all the fantasy war gaming stuff and uh, it was like, hey, have you ever heard of this Kings of War game? And, you know, we started talking and and then uh, I, I went in from there and I decided I was going to be dwarves because I had always wanted to do dwarves. I like doing tanky stuff and dwarves are, are definitely that. And so then I just kind of got started about three years ago. I, I haven't done as many tournaments as some of you guys. I've, I've only done four. I did two like 12 man one day tournaments and I did win both of those. So that was good. And then I've done bug eater two years and I think I went three, one and one in both, both of those. But, uh, I had a strong start this year, but then I had a, a, a rough game against Chris Kastner and, uh, he, he pulled it out. Uh, but it was, it was fun. And this year I'm actually excited because do my first, uh, big, uh, big out of town one. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the lady of Lake GT. So I'm excited for that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, that's kind of where I came from. Well, everybody has a rough game against Chris Kastner, so don't don't feel uh, too bad about that. <laughs> hey, we, we, um, we rolled and he got the first turn. It was critical. Uh, critical, I say. <laughs> yeah, he he's a rough opponent, but he is a nice fellow to be around. Oh, my God. So. He, he was the best. He, he gave me uh, – I, I forgot about Brutal on uh, on one of my units, and uh, he, he – Went back a, a phase even and let me keep it and and it it, it would have been the game. He, he a lot of people wouldn't do that, but he's he's a 
great opponent. Excellent. Uh, we also have Mike Rossi, and some of you may be familiar with him from another podcast, the second best uh, Kings of War podcast online. Uh, why don't you tell us just two. kind of a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unlike all you guys who started playing uh, Warhammer in high school, I'm an old man, so I started playing Warhammer with 4th Ed in college. Uh, and instead of playing um, 40K, I was actually playing Epic, which is the little, little version. Um, anyway, so I played that, got into that in college. Uh, back in high school, I was playing D&D and never really kind of got out of it. Uh, transferred to Warhammer. And then when 8th Ed happened and the old world blew up, I switched over to Kings of War. And I have never looked back. Kings of War is a far superior game. It is it is really great. That's my origin story. Trying to keep it short because no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> Thank everybody. I always <laughs> like the origin stories. I think those are fun to listen to on the show. But um, you're right. That's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about um, the best army in any fantasy miniatures game ever, and that is dwarves. So Agreed. our first question that I have, yeah, <laughs> first question <laughs> I have, everybody, and um, we're just going to kind of go through, um, and I'll just ask each person, why play dwarves? Mike, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, for me, it goes all the way back, like with a lot of stuff in my gaming stuff, it goes all the way back to Lord of the Rings, and the answer is Gimli. Just I was uh, reading those as a kid and just in, in the movies, he's comic relief in the books. He's badass. He ends up winning the, you know, the, 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 the contest with Legolas. He ends up winning the contest in the books and you know, 42, just the, the, the iconography of, um, man. So reading the Hobbit. Okay. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in sixth grade. I'm sick. Uh, with chicken pox, I get the Hobbit out of the, out of the library and I end up reading the Hobbit. Thorin's go to the mountain to go beat up a dragon. And then near the end, it's like Thorin's, Thorin turns around and goes, well, I, I have a cousin, Dane, who's the Lord of a couple thousand dwarves and they're going to come down here and fight too. And I remember being like, well, I want to know about them, right? Tell me more about them. Forget you guys. I don't care about some fat dude in a river. I care about thousands of hardened dwarf warriors. Right. And then in Warhammer, the lore for dwarves I thought was always very good. Even though in fifth and fourth ed they weren't, you know, the army wasn't good. The the lore was great and the minis were good. So anyway, that's that I think is a reason reason why I'm into it. Excellent. Mr. Chavez, what have you got? Yeah, so my answer is similar to Mike's. I mean, when I'm playing dwarves, in my head, I'm playing fantasy. I think there's no question about it. You know, you have Angry, pissed off, short dudes with giant beards, swinging axes and shooting guns and just explosions everywhere. And in in this game in particular, I think you're playing dwarves, you're playing ranks and flanks. You know, you have blocks, big beefy blocks that are tough to fight with. You have, you know, firepower in there. Like, I think the satisfaction of playing a dwarf army is that you're always, you know, sort of in the game where you're, you're very much, you know, feel like you're playing a, a fantasy game where... You have, you know, your army and you have, you know, tactics to use. I think they've been a lot of fun as an army to play. So I think aesthetically they're, they're really cool. But then also tactically, I think they're really rewarding too because they're kind of slow. They're methodical. You have to kind of plan your stuff out and you have to, you know, figure out how you're going to beat your opponent turns ahead of time because because you're too slow otherwise to figure it out. So I, I think they're just a really fun army to, to get in the, in the spirit of the game and just, you know, really rewarding once you kind of figure it out. Awesome. You know, that's something I hadn't really thought about that they feel very fantasy because even though they're basically just teensy humans with big beards but they do they, they kind of embody fantasy literature as a whole like which is pretty cool um mueller mueller <laughs> yeah so i i like the dwarves just because uh like i mentioned before they're just really uh tanky that's sort of the role that i gravitate towards fantasy wise i, I just like the the idea of somebody just going to town on you and then after they're they're all tired they just 
you're still standing there and they're like, come on, <laughs> they can't kill him. And, uh, and that's just kind of what dwarves are. They, they are tough. Even the, the basic unit, the ironclad, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of maligned cause it's a little so vanilla and slow and whatever, but you know, for the, for the points, it's just so tough and, you know, just, they just take a lot of punishment. They really do. And they just keep marching forward. And that's what I like about them. Right on. And Nathan, what have you got? Yeah, similar to Alex, I like the tactical feel on the tabletop. You know, I got into dwarves in fantasy because I, I loved the uh, the gyrocopters, man. They were they were my thing, too. So yes. I, I just love <laughs> I'm really disappointed we don't have that yet in, uh, in Kings of War. But uh, when I first got into Kings of War, I started looking at it and said, hey, what armor do I want to play? And from my perspective, I said, well, defense six sounds really good. Who has the most defense six? And so that's when I went into dwarves and started looking at them and said, man, they've got good nerve everywhere, high defense. You know, they're a little middling on the actual damage output, but they're all about the counterpunch. Like Alex said, you've got to set yourself up two turns, three turns in advance and know where you're going to be then, what your game plan is then. And so they're, they're just built to, to, okay, then give me your best shot, and then I'm going to pick you up off the table, and I'm going to move on to the next unit. Right on. I think, uh, I think I'm kind of sort of like all of you guys, you know, I— played D&D and I always liked dwarves in D&D and you know I obviously read the Hobbit as a youngster and I always wanted to learn more about dwarves and then when I did finally get into Warhammer Fantasy that army that interested me the most when I was you know 11 12 was the lizard men and they had those uh ridiculous single pose plastic models that were so endearing but I remember one time I was at the local games workshop store you know 12 11 12 year old me and one of the guys that worked there was showing me all the dwarf stuff and I it stuck with me forever, like this guy explaining to me, yeah, they don't use magic. They have, you know, runes and, you know, just digging through the pages of the books. And I think that has always stuck with me. And I just like dwarves. And if you couldn't tell by looking at me, I like dwarves because I have a beard. I was going to ask, does that guy convince you grow a beard or is that separate? Uh, it's not unrelated. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So moving forward, we have a question from Mark Temple, and he asked, what part of the third edition lore did you find most interesting and why? And I know, Alex Mueller, you have some interesting opinions on this. Uh, Why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So I just really like how Mantic made them sort of a vigorous race that is expanding as opposed to in GW and and the Tolkien world. They were sort of a fading race that that was slowly dying off and and they're not just only fighting goblins under mountains or anything like that. They're they're out there conquering new stuff, and you got to watch out, or or the imperial dwarves are gonna come and get you. And I I, I really liked that aspect of it. It made that made it feel a little bit more dynamic, in my opinion. Absolutely right, because like in Tolkien, they reference all these the great old days, you know, when they built the mines of Moria and, and all these other things. But you don't ever get to hear about it. It's always way later when everybody's dead, and it sucks. So that is a cool thing. Mr. Rossi, do you have any opinions on this? The one thing that I really like about the the background is not everybody's with the program, right? So you, King Golok is is uh, is being very dwarfish, right? So he's expanding his territory. He's being really stubborn about it. It's my way or the highway. And then there's a whole bunch of other dwarves out there that are not not down with that, right? So they've they've established the the, the essentially it's reflected in the free it's reflected in the free dwarf list. And um, it's a very different feel, and their background is very different too. The fact that there's a bunch of essentially dwarven refugees living in Bas in Basilea, Basilea, um, actually adds something I think to the lore, as opposed to being a united race or a bunch of clans that are all over the place. It is 
this bifurcated society, I think is really a very interesting thing. And I think there's a lot of story and stuff that you can do with your army uh, on the table to, to reflect that. I agree. That is one of my favorite things as well. In fact, that was kind of like the whole impetus of my army. Um, you know, when I built this new dwarf army, I decided that they were not having it with King Gallic. And so rather than become refugees in his land, they went wandering west and were like, no, thank you. And so nearly starving ended up uh, finding a new hold. Check out Dash 28. I wrote a story about it. Plug. Super plug. Uh, <laughs> Get out there. Super plug. Also, you should read Rossi's fluff because it's also incredible. Get on Dash 28 and read stuff. Well, thank you. Um, unsolicited plug. <laughs> unsolicited. Uh, Chavez, have you got any uh, ideas about third lore that makes you feel good? So I'm not usually the fluff guy, but uh, actually Rossi like <laughs> still words out my mouth. <laughs> uh, I did I like the I love the idea of like almost a civil war, you know, about the brew slash like already kind of in the in the works where it's you know it, it's just competing factions and I and I really love the way Manning's done that in the, in the rules and so I in, in the fluff like I think it's a really good implementation. I'm, I'm like I'm curious to see more of it and 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 yeah I, I just I love everything about that idea. Awesome. And Nathan, anything else from you, sir? Considering I haven't read the fluff for third. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We, gamers. we can edit this out. <laughs> I've got a gamer's edition. Keep book, it in. So I haven't read it. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I know that like when I was reading it, there were a bunch of things, and one of them I'll get to later when we get to one of the units, but something that I really liked was just the way they described dwarves' uh, utilitarianism. And so everything they do is super utilitarian, like this is an axe. It's for killing people. We made it that way. You know, we don't need any extra hullabaloo about it. But then um, they also still talk about how the dwarves are the best at crafting jewelry. And they said, well, that's utilitarian because the purpose of jewelry is to decorate. And, of course, they're the best at it. So I just thought that was really funny. And um, one of the most charming parts where they're continuing to talk about this topic is their poetry and their songs. And they said that the dwarves don't necessarily uh, bother themselves with figurative language. They're very direct in their poems and songs, which I think is really funny. And so, uh, Mr. Gilbert, if you're listening out there, we definitely need an album of uh, dwarf songs released at some point. He doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Ridiculous. All right. Um, oh my God, I would pay so much money for that. I'll get to work on it. That's what I'll do. That'll be my new project. We need a Sabaton Dwarf album. That's what we need. Yes. Have you guys listened to Windrose? They're not that great, but they're like a dwarf themed metal band, like super power fantasy metal band. Windrose? Windrose. They're like from okay. Russia or something. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. They have a song called Diggy Hole, and it's literally the <laughs> The chorus is, I am a dwarf, I'm digging a hole. Diggy, diggy hole. Diggy, diggy hole. You really so anyway, I, figured, I mean, I didn't I didn't full-on belt it out. I haven't had that much whiskey yet. So, is, it be- is it better or worse than the Witcher theme song? You mean like the toss a coin the to your Witcher? Toss a coin ones? to your Witcher, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. I'll tell you, I've listened to about four or five different quote-unquote metal covers of that, and they are all terrible. So it's better than that, at oh. least. But anyway. So, with the release of Uncharted Empires, Dwarves received an entirely new list in the Free Dwarves. And so, um, we're going to kind of talk about the units in tandem together when it comes up. That way, otherwise, this wouldn't be six hours long. But basically, Free Dwarves get some units that the regular Dwarf list can't, and vice versa. So, basically, Free Dwarves can take the following units from the Master list. So, they can have Ironclad, Berserkers, which are regular, not irregular, Mastiff Hunting Packs, Earth Elementals, the Iron Belcher Cannon, the Dwarf Lord on Large Beast, the Dwarf Army Standard Bearer, the Berserker Lord, and Garrick Heavy Hand. So basically, uh, there's a couple other interesting units that the Free Dwarfs get a hold of. Obviously, Rangers and Berserkers are regular in this list, which is pretty interesting. Um, We also have a 
unit upgrade that can be bought for most of the infantry units, and that is the th Dwarf Throwing Mastiff. So it's changed a little bit from 2nd edition. So now it's 8 shots. It always hits on 4 pluses. It's Piercing 1, which is new, and it's 15 points. I know Alex was uh, Chavez was talking about how much he likes the throwing massives. What are your opinions on this so far? Yeah, I'm a fan. I like it. I think it's definitely better than when it was before. I like that's a little bit more consistent. The other one was kind of a, you know, let, let's hit the casino and see how many times we can keep rolling, right? Like, you know, it's just comical in its own way. But I think definitely the consistency is, is better overall. Um, I do think it's one of those things you kind of have to decide um, you want to take a lot of or none at all. Because, you know, on its own, it's it's not going to do a ton. But if you have them in mass, I think if you're, you're hitting around four or five massives on your units, you can kind of focus fire and really just kind of wipe a unit out. Um, and in dwarves, a lot of times need that that little incentive for your opponent to not just sit back too far, right? They your opponents want to be a little cheeky and sit right outside your your you know very short charge range. So I think this gives them that little bit of hesitation. They're like, all right, they have to kind of commit to you, in which case you're happy anyways, or they can kind of sit there and just eat a bunch of dogs all at once. So I, I definitely recommend trying it out if you haven't yet. Um, like I say, take at least four or five of them and, and kind of all throw them at something at once and see what happens. I was running a list with um with five units that had mastiffs. And one of the things I, that I was using them for was not attacking units, but there's always that, that jerk character running around the back that you can't quite reach. But if you're within 12 inches, you always hit on fours. So if there's a guy on a horse back there or a BSB that you can see, you move your guys up, you're going to take the charge anyway, and you release, let's say, two or three units worth of hounds on something. It makes a mage sad. It makes a BSB dead. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree. They're they're really that way. I mean, the army itself doesn't really have any access to lightning bolt in it, so it does give a lot of units an opportunity to put a few wounds on some of these annoying little characters that, that run around in the backfield. Like like Mike said, a BSB, a mage, you know, all kinds of other you know goblin heroes, things like that that are pretty easy to pop with just a few wounds. So I mean, you know, you're talking about eight shots hit four and if you're talking about defense four you're looking at you know three wounds hopefully something like that which is enough to to make a lot of low level characters sweat pretty badly now the, the downside of that is i i have noticed in, in a lot of my games i'll end up at the end of the game looking down and going well two of my units haven't had a chance to shoot you know either they get charged or just that you know they're busy fighting so you know sometimes it works sometimes it's it's a little bit of a waste but i don't think it's that big of a deal I will say in, in most of my games, I, I've also found that they're really good at clearing off chaff. So I almost always will use my dogs pretty early on in the game trying to just clear off those little, you know, anywhere to 60 to 100 point units uh, just scurrying around. And uh, if you use it early, and especially if you can focus fire even just two of those at a chaff unit, usually it'll take it down. I'm with you guys. I like um, shooting them at chaff as well. Because, like you said, it can do you know about three damage on average. And so it's a really nice way to just plop a few wounds on something, knock it out of the way. I also like what Chavez was saying about how you know people are going to try to push into their charge range, but out of your you know 8 to 10-inch charge range. And so if you're giving them something to think about with the throwing dogs, it's a good idea. Um, we have a user question, however. Adrian Scott asks, how many Mastiffs should you throw at your opponent before acknowledging you've taken it too far? Is there a too far with this? No, no, I think Don't. it's more the better. Like the yeah. honestly, like you take as many, you take them all. Like it's, it's. I mean, I think it's a good argument to make to take to take zero. So I don't want to say like you know, by all means, take them at all times, every time. But I think you know, if you take, I'd love to see a list with eight to ten of these. I think it'd be hilarious. Actually, I, I'm I'm a little bit of uh, the other persuasion. I I think you're kind of crazy 
to not take them in uh, in third edition. Uh, basically, for the they're so good at chaff clearing. They're so good at character hunting. You know, I mean, if you've got an individual in cover with stealthy, doesn't matter. Four plus to hit always. And, and that's uh, the key. Yeah. And and it's so consistent. And it's it's in my experience, it's really hard to not get those fifteen points back. Like, I mean, if you take if you take those if you take five of them across your army, okay, you know that's only seventy five points. What are the odds that those are going to do seventy five points of damage? A- almost a hundred percent. Right on. Funny that you get that you mentioned that we should take as many as possible because the original list I was going to share on here is like a theoretical one that I had made. That is, every unit has throwing massives on it, and it had pack masters. It was crazy. Yes. Hell yeah. Yeah, we'll I'm going to build later. it. I'm going to play it. <laughs> It's about time we get into the units. That's the thing that most people want to hear about. So we're going to start with the humble ironclad, the classic dwarf dude with shield unit. So this unit is infantry, height two. They are speed four, melee four, defense five. They come in troops, regiments, and hordes. They have 10, 12, and 25 attacks. 10, 12, 14, 16, 21, 23 nerve, and 70 110 and 180 points it's also worth noting that the troop has one unit strength the regiment has three unit strength and the whole horde has a whopping four unit strength obviously they come with headstrong and you can buy them a throwing mastiff for 15 points i'm gonna start the conversation off mod Gaddafi says are ironclad worth taking when we have iron guard or shield breakers what do you guys think yeah, I mean, there's a point. There's a there's a place for for ironclad in the list, right? You know, shield breakers are more expensive. Iron guard are a lot more expensive, and they both they're giving you two different facets of that, right? The iron guard giving you a more survivability with uh, you know higher defense, higher nerve, and the shield breakers giving you a lot more output damage with uh, you know better melee and better uh, you know crushing strength one or whatever on them. But there's a lot of times where you know when you're trying to scrape up. You know, 15, 20, or like the difference between Ironclad and, and Iron Guard at a regiment level, 40 points. Uh, you know, you're talking about a whole difference between a whole other unlock. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, getting that extra three unit strength on the table again, stuff like that. So uh, there's certainly a place for them, uh, especially if the debate is Ironclad versus Iron Guard, because, you know, you can take Ironclad at a horde for, for you know, a decent price point for that nerve and that defense. So I, I definitely think there's always a place for Ironclad in the list. The Horde of Ironclad with the Brew of Strength is still kind of a par excellence infantry unit. I mean, the defense five, 25 attacks, crushing one uh, for, you know, n- not not too many points, uh, you know, with the Brew of Strength that attacks on some. But it's uh, it's it's still just all around excellent. It's it's hard to name a game that that wouldn't be useful in. I agree. I I take a horde of ironclad brew of strength. That's like the first thing I put in my list when I make it. Partially because I have a horde that I painted and it took me a really long time, but partially because, like you said, it is just a solid unit. It's defense five. It has a ton of attacks. It's, with the brew of strength, it's crush one. You know, you're obviously taking the army standard with the loot, so it's crush two most of the time. I think it's good stuff. I think it depends on the role. I mean, it, it, the Ironclad are defensive. The problem is when they attack back, you're getting maybe two wounds on defense five, right? Mm-hmm. With a regiment. But they are really good at, you for 100, I mean, for the price point, 110 for a regiment, three unit strength. Go in that table quarter and own it, right? And then the, your opponent has to put a lot, of, a lot of resources, relatively, into removing it from the table in a six-turn game. 
right? He's got to probably double the points of stuff he, he throws at it in order to make it go away. So in that instance, yeah, I think it's very good for scenario play. Those are all good points. I think I'm not a big fan. I'm not on the ironclad <laughs> wagon, I guess, as much as everyone else. I never really use them in second. I don't really expect to use them a lot in third edition. I do think the Horde is the best buy of the unit, especially with the way that Hordes work now with the charging range, right? Like you essentially like, you know, giving them effectively plus three inches on their charge right now with the, with the new rules. So that's a huge deal. Um, but I, again, I just don't. I don't like them to me. I don't think they're specialized enough. I'm, I'm a fan of specializing, and, and yeah, they're cheap, but you know, the other units are not that much more expensive either. So I, I, I think Shieldbreakers, to me, are, are a little bit better for offense, and, and Iron Guard are better defensively. I, I tend to look to those units first. Um, again, with the only exception being that Ironclad Horde it is going to be a very stable unit and sort of to, to hold the center. And if you need unlocks, I think that Ironclad are definitely viable for that. But um, you know, it just depends what kind of list you're going to build out of it. It is worth noting that that is the cheapest unlock in the entire army at 110 points. So that's nothing to sneeze at for sure. Um, so we're moving on to the Shield Breakers. Now, these, this is our first unit that actually has a variant rule set for free dwarfs. So, Mike Rossi, you want to take it away? Sure. I mean, Shield Breakers. Okay, so you are looking at, they come in Troop, Regiment, and Horde. In the Imperial Dwarves, they have, well, for everybody, they have the following stats. They have unit strength one for a troop, three for a regiment, four for a horde. You'll see that a lot. They have speed four, just like every other dwarf in the world. They have melee three plus, defense four, uh, 10, 12, and 25 attacks based on the unit size, 10, 12, 14, 16, or 21, 23 nerve, and 80, 125, or 205 points, uh, depending on for troop, regiment, and horde. They come with crushing strength one. They have headstrong. And you can give them throwing mastiffs for 15 points. They're free dwarf cousins, same exact stats, but the points uh, go from 80 to 90 for a troop, 125 to 140 for a regiment, and 205 to 230 for a horde. But in exchange, you get the crushing strength one and also pathfinder and scout instead of headstrong pretty strong stuff yeah i think you look to the free dwarf list like it's almost a completely different unit right like I, to yeah. me, those are, those are different units like i mean yeah you have one that scouts it's pathfinder like that that's first of all it's like crazy unique and a dwarf list you can make a list just off of that alone but um you know you look at the other shield breakers and they're they're like a lot cheaper and they they really do a different role in my opinion when you look at the absolutely two. I, I do want to say that having played dwarves consistently in second edition um, I was really disappointed that, you know, dwarves are an army where everything hit on a four plus. So, you know, once again, growing up, Gimli's a Gimli kills 42 orcs in a battle, but I can't roll threes to hit. Now I have shield breakers that actually hit on threes and that totally changes this, this unit, right? As opposed to hitting on fours with crush two. Now it's hitting on threes with crush one, but a guy with a loose standing behind hitting power cords, it's a strong unit. Yeah, and they got cheaper across the board, right, at every point level. So sure I really did. think Shieldbreakers are a big winner, to be honest. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. Like, they're they're an absolute powerhouse of a unit, I think, as far as, as I really love the regiment of them. To me, the regiment is is great because it's 125 points, really cheap, um, and they can actually put out some damage. I mean, to me, they're, you know, 12 attacks on threes is nothing to laugh at, right? Like, it's, it's enough damage where the opponent has to deal with it. Right? They, can, they can't ignore a unit with that much damage output. Yeah, they're slow, but... You know, eventually it'll get to where they need to be, and at that point, you're running. They don't have an answer for them yet. Then they're going to get in, you know, get in, and start doing tons of damage. So I don't know how much you guys have been using them, but I've been playing with them quite a bit. I'm a big fan of them so far. I mean, one of the things that I found in a lot of my in a lot of my games is the 14, 16 nerve, even with defense four. Unless I'm fighting Varinger or something that really is Alpha Strike, I'll take a punch. 
right? And if I have multiple uh, regiments of these, then I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to come get you with a lot of stuff. I haven't played with them this edition a bunch. I used Shieldbreaker regiments a ton right at the beginning of second edition, and they were fine. And then when they announced they hit on threes now, I was ecstatic. We played like a little one-day narrative event, and so I took a horde of Free Dwarf Shieldbreakers with uh, the Brew of Strength. Wouldn't you know it, they kill whatever they look at, and they don't... <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? So, preface... Uh, I usually take two regiments of rangers almost any time. So they, the, these guys can keep up with those rangers. You can scout up, and everybody's ready to go. And you can park them in some woods, put some dogs in front of them. So if people are charging you, they're hindered or they're hitting your chaff, and then you just you mow them over. And I don't know. I really dig shield breakers. I'm excited that they're good. I can't wait to paint some new models for them. So. Yeah, buddy. Well, is that all on shield breakers? Are we ready to move on to the berserkers? I just I want to say again, the biggest change in my opinion from second to third edition is shield breakers hitting on threes. This unit is now, in my opinion, is an auto include. I I get for fifteen extra points between that and the ironclad, you take shield breakers unless you have a specific role for your ironclad to do. Is my opinion. I, I agree the whole heart of that. And honestly, I do think they're worth a look at because they, to me, they're, they're one of the better units you're going to see, right? I mean, especially I, I've been building a lot of dwarf armies and somehow being like low on unit strength. That, you know, if you think that's the case, look at shield breakers, take a couple units of the regiments of those. And I mean, it's like 125 points for just your basic shield breakers for three unit strength is a lot. So, I mean, that's like almost goblin levels of cheese. <laughs> like it, it's, you put a couple units of those and the next thing you know, your unit strength is going to take off. And, and again, it's a unit that I think is, is really versatile in the field. It had to be dealt with and you know they're, they're not that like you said they can take a punch they have headstrong still right so go ahead and wave them you don't care most of the time so i think i do agree that every player should put them on the table and try them out plus great candidate for throwing mastiffs which will be a theme yes definitely. uh so moving every on berserkers is a, great mar- is a great candidate for throwing mastiffs everything true <laughs> yes so berserkers are um, a little different between the, both the uh, the free variant the only difference being that they're irregular in the regular list and in the free dwarf list, they are regular. So um, I think I said that right. <laughs> anyway, so so uh, I think it's kind of an odd choice that they are regular in the main list. I'll say real quick, but uh, but talking more about their stats, they they're quite changed as well um, from the previous edition. They ha- now have twenty attacks in a regiment, um, and they have vicious, just like their Brock Rider cousins, and. They have one of my new favorite rules, wild charge D3. You know, basically beginning turn, you roll D3, and you're not charging that far on top of your regular speed. So, um, And then they have a really cool rule as well called Vengeance. It says when they're counting charges, they get plus one crushing strength. So I, I think Berserkers are actually really, really good now. You know, they're 165 points for a regiment. Again, not, a little bit more expensive compared to other regiments we have, but... You know, they're definitely versatile because they have the speed five. And with Watch Charge D3, it's actually a very respectable threat range that you're not used to getting from them. Um, you know, so effectively, your opponent, if they're playing around Wild Charge, they have to assume that you're going to roll a three, right? Otherwise, you're, you're giving up charges that, 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 you know, they shouldn't be giving up. So, you know, effectively in the game, you're basically, a, you know, you kind of have the effectiveness of a 13 inch charge because at least your opponent has to play around that. So they do threaten a little bit more than the normal. Um, having said that, though, I, I do struggle to put them in the list, especially being a regular compared to Brock Riders. I do tend to find myself looking more Brock Riders. I think if you want to take um, a lot of them, which I think you can use, I think I would take it more of the Free Dwarf style with actually unlocking stuff that you need, character slots and things like that. So um, what has your guys' experience been with these? My experience in 2nd Edition was kind of underwhelming. Uh, in 2nd Edition, they had Defense 3, and so uh, upping them to defense four was definitely a, a step in the right direction. 
I, I d- have tried using them once in third edition, and I, I have to admit, e- even though when you look at it on paper, they look like a, a pretty solid unit, I haven't been able to sort of synergize that very well with the rest of the army. Uh, they just kind of feel like a one-off. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really... I, I can't really get them to fit into my, my army list, but that's just me personally. When I first saw Berserkers, and um, I don't know if you guys follow along with K2 of the New England workings, but he was trying out a list with Morax where he took just a metric ton of Morax troops. And the idea was if you charge in and you don't <coughs> kill them, great, I'm fearless. You charge back and then two more charge them in the flanks and they die. Or you do kill them, you have ones behind it and you have ones at the side, you still die. I haven't tried it yet just because I haven't gotten around to painting them and I refuse to play with unpainted models. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think I think if you're like an old-school dwarf player that has a bunch of these lying around, right? I think I think a lot of people that have been playing dwarves for a while usually do. I know, I know Rob's got some lying around for sure. I've seen those. I think they're worth hitting the table. I, I think they're definitely good enough to, to you know, have a spot. I, I typically put them in the flank area, kind of like, you know, somewhere where they're not going to run something too beefy. They can still kill them in one go because their nerve is not that high still, so they will die for sure. But, you know, if you can get some good counterplay with them and kind of get them in a spot where they can kind of threaten a little bit, I think they're useful. Um you just got to be, you know, a little finessey with them. I kind of wonder if, if there's an opportunity cost with them, and you compare these to the shield breakers. I mean, the hitting on fours and the the vicious helps it, but I mean, you compare this to a shield breaker regiment or even at a troop level, it's kind of like, uh, am I am I worth it for that uh, that little bit of premium I'm paying to get the fearless out there? You know, um, that kind of makes me wonder, hey, if you're going to run this, if you're going to run the style unit, uh, yeah, the Berserkers are on foot are faster than the Shield Breakers on foot, but still, the Shield Breakers are going to give you more guaranteed output, I think, especially against the higher defense stuff that may be running around out there. And if you're trying to use these as a counterpunch unit where they didn't, they're not countercharging, they're making the first charge there, uh, which one do you think is going to pan out better in general, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of of the same persuasion. If I look at at a punchy infantry unit, you know, if you compare a regiment of shield breakers to a regiment of berserkers, the shield breaker regiment is so much cheaper. And uh, critically for me, anyway, in, in my opinion, is that they can take a throwing mastiff. If you have a hundred forty point regiment of shield breakers versus a hundred sixty five point regiment of berserkers, I don't know. I I really like the. Uh, I really like the Shieldbreaker Regiment a lot better, uh, just, again, me personally. I think they'd be worth building around, and we'll get to um, Sveri Egalax later, and I think he has some good synergy with the Berserkers in the Free Dwarf list. And I think you would certainly have to build towards it, right? Like, I don't think you would take one or two units. I think you'd need to, like, actually, like, make them work together, because otherwise, you're right, their nerve is not high enough to survive, like, a big, a good punch. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't played with them yet, and I'm not very good at this game. Well, so in second ed, I took a regiment of these as because I like the I like the unit that I painted, and I paint really slow. So I'm like, well, let's try them, right? And they were okay, but they were kind of a joke. Because the reason why, and I think this is really the the issue with them in this list too, is for another thirty points, I get them on Brox. So then I don't have to worry about rolling the D3. They move eight, right? They have way more attacks. They hit, um, you know, they hit on fours. They have a higher nerve. Those extra 30 points between 165 and 195, that makes a big difference, right? I'm getting a lot for that 30 points. I just don't see a reason to take these guys as a regiment when I can take them when I take a Brock regiment instead. Beat's still king in this game, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line. So I, I, I do agree. If you're looking for counterplay, Brock's kind of just do it better still. I mean, they did it before by miles. They, they still kind of do it better now. I, I can't disagree with that. Right. But to um, 
to the point made earlier, I think if you made a, a – the reason why you take them over shield breakers if you're taking, let's say, a more infantry-heavy list is because you control more board space because movement is king. right? You move five with the extra D3. Now you're looking at probably a 12-inch charge, um, and that makes a difference to your opponent's layout. Uh, so if you want to pin somebody in place, you use these. But still, I think Brocks are a better, are a better play. However, e- even then, if you, if you have multiple units of these stacked up, if you've got three shield breaker units and you've got three sets of dogs, that's uh, those dogs have another twelve inch threat range. Yeah, that's uh, true. That kind of is is its own thing. Yeah, and, uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of those guys. My thinking is that in a free dwarf list where they actually get unlocks, they definitely you deserve a look if you want to build a, a, an army around them. I can't see ever building an army around these guys being a regular in the imperial dwarf list. I just don't see it. That is a very good point. I would definitely not build uh, an Imperial Dwarf list around these guys. Just like you said, they don't unlock and you run out of character slots super fast. And that's something I don't think we struggle for unlocks too much. It's just why bother with that point I was going to make is that the fact that we're having this argument about legitimately which one of these is better and they both do kind of similar things means that that the game is in a good place, I think. Absolutely. The the rules committee definitely made... Both shield breakers and berserkers much more viable. Berserkers, especially in second edition, were just kind of a, a laughable unit. They they just really weren't very good. And they didn't fit. Now they're 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 still. I, I think shield breakers and and brocks are better, but they're they're a legitimate choice now. And shield breakers are totally legitimate. And uh, they were a little underpowered in second. All right. So that's a good segue into this next unit. The Berserker Brock Riders. Obviously, this was kind of the the flashpoint uh, when when word got out that their nerf was going to take a uh, a minus four hit. Uh, you know, the, the end was nigh. Uh, everybody was uh, lighting themselves on fire. I admit, e- even I did a little bit of hand-wringing. I was like, woof. I don't know if they needed quite so much uh, of a of a shave on that, but I, I can say after playing them in third edition, they really don't function very differently, even with minus four nerve. Uh, first of all, you're I, I still I, you know as somebody just mentioned, you know speed is king in this game. Uh, movement is probably the most important stat that you'll have on a on a stat line. And they're the only fast unit the dwarves have. And if you need to go across the board to claim an objective, to project threat, whatever it is, Brocks are going to be it. They were feared in second edition. They're still feared in in third edition. You know, the the speed eight, melee four, defense four, thunderous charge one, vicious. You know, and and one thing worth pointing out, too, with that nerve, with, with the minus four nerve, they did also get a 15 point cost reduction. So instead of 210 points, now they're 195, you know? So if you're taking two regiments of them, Hey, here's, here's 30 free points. So that, that's, that's one thing to, you know, consider. They didn't just only get hit with a nerf bat. Uh, also the, the troop is pretty attractive. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's got 13 attacks instead of 26, so it doesn't hit nearly as hard, but, Still fearless fifteen for only one hundred twenty five points, which almost puts it, uh, you know, in the in the same category as almost some some of the fast chaff and and stuff like that. It, it's but it's got legit nerve and it's somewhat punchy. I have to admit, I haven't uh, I haven't played with this very much. I still have a preference for the regiment, and that's prim- primarily because 
the regiment has three unit strength, and damn uh, right, it, it's it, it that really is a big deal. Um, and and I will also say that with the minus four nerve, one of the changes uh, from second to third, in my opinion, is that it's a little bit harder for me to put an expensive item on these guys. You know, in second edition, I often like to give them the brew of strength. You know, now it's it, that seems a little pricey with defense four dash uh, eighteen. That's still it's still okay. They can still take a punch uh, when you had to do four more damage to them. You you felt like you were probably going to get one more round of combat out of them, or, um, and, and so it just makes it a little bit uh, more dicey. To that point, though, right? If you're going to invest 195 points in them, you need to get kill shots out of them, right? You can't afford for those guys to roll up there and then, uh, you know, roll up on a, a Mounted Sons of Corrigan, a Soul Reaver Regiment, something like that, punch, and then get just get picked up off the table the next turn. So if you're going to take the regiments, I think it's almost compulsory that you've got to give them something to get that damage put output up a little bit higher. Bruce strength elite something like that to, to convert that stuff into wounds i'm like you in second edition i almost always took brutal strength on them and i think it's even more important now because you know if you're rolling against defense five units uh you know hitting on four wounding on fours with vicious is a lot lot worse than wounding on threes with vicious i mean the the that's you know it's just not it's night and day so you know uh, at the 195 point you know the the 15 point price drop i think that makes the magic items even more important on them just to keep them in the game and make sure that you're getting some kind of value out of them i agree because i think even in second they died every single game but um you got to get the like you said you got to get the value out of them i've been doing um pathfinder and and the j boot the jesse's boots of striding on them to pretty decent effect yeah, so I like to use the uh, Boots of Striding especially, and then I also, in lieu of giving them Brew of Strength, I've been trying to take a Stone Priest or a Flame Priest and give them the Bane Chant or the Loot and uh, trying to increase their Crushing Strength that way as opposed to giving them the item. I, I mean, the item, still it's still feasible, but, uh, you know, for example, some people would even give them Brew of Sharpness, which wasn't totally laughable or anything in second edition and to me something like brew of sharpness really uh it's a little too much too many points to put on 18 nerve defense four well i think now with brew of sharpness only being 35 points for a regiment it's pretty reasonable uh i know a lot of folks have been running um like revenant cavalry regiments and such with brew of sharpness and that's been i don't know pretty effective i've I've played the brocks with it but usually that's the first thing that goes if i need points i'll downgrade that to strider or something like that i mean the real key here is, is the fact that they throw 26 dice 26 yeah. attacks right Love. so if you're if you're giving them that 35 point item you're you're essentially getting another divided by six you get another uh four hits so the question then is did i do that math right it, yeah so that's four and a half hits so is that worth it is 35 points worth four hits at tc1 Right. I mean, that's really the decision, the decision you have to make. One of the things that I found with the reduced um, nerve is before my brass could take two punches. Now they could take one punch. They could take a little bit of light shooting and then a punch in the face and then they're dead. The second punch kills them before it was like two punches and then maybe I'm still there. Right. So that four point nerve actually makes a big difference tactically in what I in what and what I do with them. I've used them with the J boots and and, uh, and plus one speed, the the haste. That actually makes a big difference, especially against other people's cavalry. I, I find that I'm able to control way lo- way more board space 
using that, which I need them to control board space as the infantry marches up to do the work. It, actually, you were just talking about uh, c- controlling board space. Uh, it, that kind of segues into the uh, what, what I wanted to talk about with the free dwarf Brock riders. Uh, and that's they have the the free dwarfs have the option of the range attack for the 12 inch range throwing axes. And for the troop, you get six attacks for the regiment. You get 12. It hits on a five plus, but uh, steady aim. And you get it for 10 points for troop or 20 points for a regiment. And I have found this to be awesome because, you know, yes, it, it is kind of pricey. But the bane of Brock's is chaff. And if you can't clear chaff away, if you've got to charge into some 70-point unit and then you take it on the chin from you know, a, a, a horde of uh, ogre warriors or something, you, you're you're good chance you're going to die right then and there. And so it, with that, those throwing axes, if you have two regiments next door to each other, you can stack those two. And then, hey, you know, all of a sudden you just got eight hits on that unit, on that chaff unit. And they don't go away. You don't run out of them. It's not one use only or anything. You, you know, uh, I've I found these are really, really good for clearing chaff. I, I think it's worth it. I really do. That's interesting. I, I've been playing a lot with the free dwarfs as opposed to the imperial dwarfs. And I have not tried the throwing axes yet, but that's a super good point that um you know they are great for for clearing those stupid chaff units that get in the way and are super annoying um have any of you other guys played with the free dwarfs at all or the free dwarf rock riders with the axes i haven't taken the axes yet um i think it's an interesting idea <laughs> like it's it's definitely would be amusing to play with i just come to the point where like do you really want to make your unit more expensive when it's you know it, it's like the i think the points decreased on it is about the only positive thing you can say about the unit because like you guys said, I mean, they're cheaper and they have the same damage output. They had less addition. So, you know, in theory, if you protect them and support them and get them into combat, you're actually doing more damage per point um, with this with this kind of change on them. Now, I agree with everyone that they do die much easier now, right? You basically lose a round on them. So if you're getting punched back with them, they're they're probably going to die. And, and, you know, I think your average unit that does about six to seven wounds is going to kill them in two goes now, right? Where otherwise they they lived to that extra turn, which, you know, I think really got value. Um, I kind of take the opposite approach to Nathan, which is like items on them, the expensive items. I think they're still very bane and hungry. So I think you definitely want to have that somewhere in your list. I'm a fan of keeping these guys cheap and, and kind of just getting them into combat. You know, like let them kill a unit. You know, they'll kill a unit and die. And, and as long as it's the right unit, then then it's okay. You know, so I think you know, before you used to kill two units and die. So it, it's a little different now. I'm definitely going to talk about the troop a lot. I think troops are really, really good. I've taken two troops in almost every army. And they're super annoying for your opponent to deal with. I mean, for 125 points, that dash 15 nerve is absolutely crazy. I mean, they just struggle so, so much. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's really like your opponents had like I've had every opponent with double take. Like, wait, what? They're dash fifteen. I mean, for for that point, it's really really good. And if you get them in the flank, right, they're they're gonna do a ton of damage. So you know, I love sticking a troop of these guys in the in the fifth flank with uh, the king on large beast, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But um, I think they're I think the troops are worth a look at. Again, it's gonna suffer unit strength a bit. Your army's gonna drop that, but um, as long as you make that up elsewhere, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I, I would still say, uh, I know we had a question that was uh, posted by Adrian Scott that said, uh, are they, are Brock still auto-includes in third edition? And, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll speak for myself when I say absolutely yes. Uh, I, I think they're the only thing that can really project that threat 
they're the only thing that's really high mobility. And uh, to me, I, I think they're still kind of auto includes. I, I, it's hard for me to build a lot of uh, really great lists in my own mind without them. I, I, I know it can be done, but I, I, I think I still think they're great. Speak it, brother. Preach it, brother. <laughs> oh. Definitely. I mean, the dwarves on badges, angry badges, right? Like, why would you not take them? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the bulwarkers. Sure. These are the uh, new unit that came out with Clash of Kings a couple years ago. Uh, they've been uh, pretty much the same as what we saw in second edition. Uh, <clears throat> they come in troops, regiments, and hordes. They are uh, unit strength 1, unit strength 3, or unit strength 4, 12, 15, or 30 attacks. 10, 12 nerve, 14, 16 nerve, and 21, 23 nerve, respectively. They're 90, 135, and 225 points. A few things to note with these guys, right? Uh, they lost big shield where they had before, so they were defense 6 in the front. Um, they still have headstrong, they still have phalanx, which is a lot better in this edition. They can also take the uh, the Throwing Master for the 15-point upgrade as well. Speed 4, which kind of suffers for them a little bit. One of the big advantages they have over a lot of other Phalanx units, though, is they are Defense 5. So now that they're stripping off Thunderous and they are reducing the uh, the two-hit value for any of the Cav, Large Cav, or Flyer units that are charging them, they are also a little bit tougher still as well. I don't remember these being out around initially in the first edition, uh, in the first second edition book. Originally, the the bulwarkers were two hundred fifty points. It, they were just really expensive, and the phalanx wasn't as good as it is in this edition. So they were oh, always around. But then when they when they buffed them, they gave them big shield. Big shield, yeah, and that was works. huge, okay, and that yeah, just made yeah, them okay. the absolute anvil to end all anvils. Uh, and, and they right, were great. Okay. And then to and to make it even more impressive, they put them in that formation that gave them crushing strength for a while. Yeah. So then you had this big shield, defense six from the front, phalanx, thirty attacks, crushing one. <laughs> it was that, it that was ex- uh, that is a bear of a unit right there. That, that explains why I never looked at them earlier in the game because I looked at them the first <laughs> time and said, "What is this nonsense? Yeah, this is a waste." In general, I've never I've never really used them. Um, a lot of that because I didn't feel like paying the premium for Phalanx just didn't seem that good to begin with. When they gave them big shield, they got a lot better. But when you start talking about taking defense six units, I've always kind of looked at the other options in the dwarf list. So it's not a unit I'm overly familiar with running. I've definitely looked at them as, as, as spots for my version three, ver- uh, of the army. You know, they're, they're certainly better than ironclad. Now you do pay a premium for that. But you're getting on top of phalanx, you're getting an extra five attacks, which, you know, you start throwing a bane chain in there, something like that. That's an extra, you know, two wounds a turn, something like that, if they're tied down in combat. So um, I do like that option for them. There is not a free dwarf version of these, correct? These are only available in the Imperial Dwarf list, right? That's true. I think that's the first unit we've come across that is only available in the Imperial Dwarf list. Right. I mean, the Imperial Dwarfs get kind of a, a janky you know, levy version of, of Spearman, but I mean, I don't think they're very good, but geez, hold on. Will you, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have used, I have used a horde of bulwarkers in third edition. And I will say this, that the, the buffed up phalanx really does make a big difference for a high defense, high nerve unit like this. So, you know, I mean, really they're, they're the comparison that you're probably doing in your mind is a horde of ironclad versus a horde of bulwarkers. 
And so it's 180 points versus 225. Other than that, you know, basically you get phalanx and plus five attacks for uh, 45 points. So it's it's a uh, it's kind of a dicey thing, but I, I really I, I think it makes that unit so much harder to kill because so many armies will rely on big units of knights or flyers to really take out a, a big horde of infantry with high nerve like that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if they, if they hit you with even two regiments of knights, that that unit of bulwarkers still might be standing there after getting hit by that. And then they'll, even, and if you can get a, if you can get a Bane chant or something on them, then you're talking about 30 attacks. It's, it, it's a very competitive unit. I think if my opponent is putting two units of knights into my bulwarkers, then he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, it, hands down, right? There are other things that he should be charging with those. I, I took these all the time in six when they were defense six, I tried them once at once at defense five, and even with the improved phalanx, I just don't see it for forty five extra points. Just give me iron guard with the same nerve, right? Same nerve, same defense, and I'll spend those forty five points somewhere else. Yeah, I agree with well, Mike here just, too. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Does uh, that just depend on your local meta though? I mean, if you're playing in a meta that's got a lot of the a lot of cav, um, I mean, I just don't see you as an example, right? You start talking about uh, Draken Riders, still good, still going to be running around in the game if people actually run elves. But you, you start talking about, you're going to see a lot more of these night hordes, especially coming out of like the undead lists. You can take, uh, you know, hordes of uh, Revenant Cav now. Or you start talking about like the uh, the Order of the Brother Mark or the Order of the Green Lady or even generic Basileans. I don't remember if Kingdoms of Men can take a horde of knights. But, I mean, those are going to delete any other unit in our army uh, pretty much on the sh- on the charge. Um, I don't think they can do it on this. You See, know, you that, start- that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think I, – I actually, you know, I understand that you guys were saying, you know, they, they don't know what they're doing if they're, <laughs> if they're charging into the bulwarkers with a mounted unit. But the problem is is that, you know, certain army lists rely on, on Cav for punching. Cavs and flyers for that; those are their alpha strike units. You know, I mean, if if you don't have uh, other than a dragon, you know, if you're an elf list, that's what your punch is. Your punch is your is your cav and your flyers. And it, boy, it's it's tough. It, it, it's tough for some of those armies to deal with it if if cav is supposed to be their punch. So I, I do think it's a meta call. Like it's going to depend on the meta for sure, right? If you expect an army of all knights and. For sure, bulwarkers are, are, are going to be good. Um, so if that's something that you just know to expect, and for sure. But I think you got to look at the history of the rule failings, right? I mean, it's it's it, I think is unquestionably one of the worst rules in second edition. <laughs> like, when you look at you know people trying to use it, and in third, they tried to make it better. I, I think the jury's still out. Like, I don't know if they're good or not. I just I, I haven't been able to use them myself. So maybe maybe I just need to play with them more. I don't know. Well, well there's in a second lot more edition. Nibbles. It was just kind of a little bit of a nerf. In third edition, like that, that ensnare too makes it just almost prohibitive to charge them. It, it just makes them really fearsome. And even right. if it's not cap, there's a lot more nimble units in the game now. And I mean, Phalanx is going to strip nimble away. So you start reducing the opportunity for you armies to use that one inch disengage and then do a super corkscrew on you on, around something, right? So, I mean, there, there is that as well as. as Phalanx, this is the only source of Phalanx in the list. And I mean, it really, 
it depends on what your your enemies are running around you. I mean, if you're playing a bunch of goblin war machine spam, yeah, this isn't going to help you. Take Ironclad if you want to take this style unit. But otherwise, it's got some options. So, I think with I, a lot of things, if you're going to take it, take a bunch, right? Don't yeah. give the guy the option to charge off half your army and have you know have one unit of these. Take three or four if you're going to do it. You know what I mean? I I, think- I actually kind of disagree. I, I I actually don't. I with dwarves because they're a low mobility army. I kind of like to use the swinging door tactic where you kind of have a, a, a beefy center and then you swing from one side of the board so they can't flank you from at least one side of the board. And a, a whole, one horde of bulwarkers is kind of a, a great anchor unit to just keep in the middle of the board there and uh, and you, you can kind of move the rest of your army around it. But it's you got to dislodge that thing and it's tough. That's just my take. Well, before we move on to the next unit, um, and I think this goes for a lot of things like Phalanx or like Organ Guns did previously, is it's kind of a deterrent, right? If someone sees that, they're not going to want to charge near there. And, of course, if they charge the unit next to them, then the bulwarkers are going to flank the hell out of them. So, But um, let's move on to the Free Dwarf version of bulwarkers, the Spear Levy. Rossi, take it away. Sure. So um, they're just not as good, right? <laughs> so bulwarkers right, have – Right, exactly. It's moving on, right? <laughs> But they both have speed four. They both have melee four. But instead of defense five, the free dwarves apparently just wear pants. They don't wear armor. They have defense four. Um, the troop is uh, 80 points instead of 90 um, and actually has less nerve, 911 instead of 1012. The regiment is 120 points instead of 135. They have the same number of, number of attacks, but they only have unit strength two instead of three compared to the imperial, uh, the bulwarkers. And they have 1315 instead of 1416 nerve. So whew. they do have Pathfinder. They do have Phalanx. And you can, give, you can give them throwing Mastiffs. But boy, I just, I don't see what these guys do. Right? I mean, the reduction in nerve and defense, I don't care if you're holding on to all the spears. I just, you know, you're going to get taken off. So that's my opinion. Anybody else want to argue? <laughs> I agree. I think they're underpowered. Uh, I was pretty unimpressed with the Free Dwarf Spear Levy. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, it, the nerve bump is actually, in my mind, what does it? Cool unit in theory, and I really like the idea of it, but that, that nerve, I, I agree. D- defense four and then the low nerve for the dwarfs, it's ugh. Yeah, and no headstrong. So there's a really good chance of getting wavered, and then you're standing there just hanging out. Yeah, I think I think you have an argument for definitely one of the worst units on the dwarf list. Uh, I, I'm curious in the game how bad they are compared to every other unit because – these just don't do anything, right? I mean, they don't do anything at all. You give up everything, you get nothing in return. You're never going to see them on the table. Nobody's even going to try to, you know, where would you take these over just taking another, a troop ironclad or something like that? Right. That, that sounds like a challenge. Also, it needs to be mentioned that these are irregular. So that's, they don't even unlock either. Well, oh, and, I forgot that. Oh my <laughs> God, they're awful. And don't forget, they're also unit strength two instead of, instead of the, three. the other ones are unit strength three well, the, for the bulwarkers. It's just well, that doesn't matter because they're going to die. So, <laughs> well, but, but if they didn't die somehow, you still have the reduced unit strength. It's just uh, somebody went crazy on this unit. Yeah, someone lost a bet or something. I, I don't a, know what happened. There's a story behind this for sure. Well, I, first of all, they. You know, obviously they made Levy for Vanguard, so that was like a new unit in Vanguard, so they're just supposed to be like Bobo Spearman types. I don't know, again, why you would take these over. Like, I would rather take an Ironclad Regiment. Okay, cool, Phalanx. But Phalanx doesn't matter if the they're still wounding you on fours. 
I'm not really sure. I'm going to paint some that will be dual use as bulwarkers and spirit levy, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Next up is my all-time favorite unit, one that I have literally never taken dwarves to the table without, and that is the rangers. So first of all, rangers are speed five, melee four, range four, defense four. They come in troops and regiments. The troop is unit strength one. The regiment is unit strength three, which is incredible. They have 10 attacks at a troop, 12 in a regiment, nerve 10, 12, nerve 14, 16, 140 points, and 185 points. Now, for all of that, you get an irregular unit with crushing strength one, pathfinder, and scout. They have light crossbows that shoot at 24 inches. No piercing. But man, oh man, do, the, do these guys do everything. Should be noted as well, they're irregular in the Imperial Dwarf list, but in the Free Dwarf list, they unlock all day long. Additionally, in the Free Dwarf list, for 15 points on one unit, you can upgrade them to Herneus' hand-picked rangers. And what this does for you is it gives them elite with their crossbows, so ranged only, and stealthy. So for 200 points, you've got somebody that's shooting stuff, somebody that's punching stuff, and they're running in and out of the woods. You can't even shoot them. They're amazing. Rangers do everything. They always surprise my opponents. They'll they'll think, oh, those guys are just archers. It's no big deal. And then I charge out of the forest, and they go, oh, you're hitting on fives now, right? And I said, nope. Pathfinder. And they're like, oh, well, it's no crushing, right? Nope. Crush one. And then, you know, 24 attacks in the flank. Crush one. Dead unit later, they're a little bummed out. I love rangers. Can you tell? I love rangers, too. I do. I love melee four. I love range four. I think that's that's a really rare combination, actually. You don't see it very often. I love that rangers have it. I love pathfinder. I love scout. And I love crushing. What I don't love is the fact that they lost headstrong for no reason, really. And yep. they also went up in points on the troops level. So I, I, I don't know why they're also regular on the main, like the regular list. I, I I'm a little disappointed with that. I, didn't, I thought Rangers were in a really good spot where they were. Um, I think they're still good, obviously, like you mentioned. But yeah, I kind of scratched my head at this one of why they really got changed at all. I mean, I don't know who was lobbying for Ranger nerfs, but you know, I, I kind of not sure why they got changed. You no, know, actually, what happened was Kyle Przinsky was like. <laughs> those rangers and <laughs> after we played at mountaineer he was probably like no nah, these guys need to go somewhere right so, so I, mean, I will say Kyle. that i really like the rangers i i in pretty much all my lists i always take one regiment that's just because there's almost always a wood or a swamp or something within or at least if it's not in your deployment zone it's at least within vanguard range and or or scout now um and so it, I, I just love being able to take that unit, put it down, first turn it vanguards out so that it's within 24 inches of something, and it can shoot without moving from out of the woods, even first turn. Um, and, and it's it's just so versatile, like you said. I, I, love, I love especially the regiment. The troop used to be a pretty decent range damage output for the points, but now that they increased the points, it's just – it's too – too much of a glass cannon and it's not really even a cannon it's just no. but the the regiment the regiment of rangers is is still solid in my book i think with the loss of headstrong too it makes the troop a lot less useful but uh we also didn't mention this but um you know in third edition if you enter a piece of terrain on the same turn that you're shooting you take a minus one penalty for cover and so if your rangers scout up into the terrain before the game begins and they just don't move they're not taking any of those penalties so they should be hitting on fours or fives at worst most times, which is pretty awesome. So I, I used to love troops of I rangers. Sh- I took two troops of rangers in almost every list I made, um, including the list I took to masters where I, I ended up winning. Like that to me was the sort of the efficiency price point. Like you said, I 
I don't see myself taking it ever again. Um, the regiment, even still, man, without unlocking it, if you're taking free dwarves, sure, I think they're good. I I would steer clear though, unless you're doing free dwarves, just because it's just you know the unlocks are tight and and. It's just, you know, I don't know. They're too fragile for me to, to be useful. I'm going to back you up on that. 180, uh, they do everything, and they do everything really well. The fact that they have range 4 plus is really impressive, especially if most shooting units now are down to 5s. It's um, very rare in 3rd edition. Absolutely. Um, so, that, you know, you look at a you look at a, uh, a stat block that has a bunch of 4 melee, 4 range, and uh, crush 1, defense 4. It's legit, but boy, you're paying for it. I mean, I agree with Alex. Troops were troops were a really good price point. 140 points now for a 10-12 unit, mm. and then 185 for a regiment. Totally cool, but not if it doesn't unlock things. So in the free dwarves, I'll give it a look. Imperials, I don't even look at them. They're too expensive. They're too expensive in a world with cannons. They're too expensive. That's fair. I, that's my opinion. Um, but I don't know what I'm doing. So, hey, I mean, you do better at masters than I ever have. So by actually going. <laughs> Hey, I actually qualified this year with dwarfs, two regiments of rangers in every single list. Next year, it's going to be all, or this year, it's going to be all triple ranger regiment, every single list. I'm going to get it to work. It's going to happen. Actually, real talk, though, um, they're great for clearing out chaff because they don't have any piercing, which is kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, if you target prioritize, shoot stuff that's low defense, you know, if, you know, I played somebody with a bunch of gargoyles, shot the crap out of those. Played uh, another guy who used a lot of flame bearers, targeted those guys. And they're really good at knocking out stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, instead of using, like, the throwing axes on the, the brocks, which is primarily why I haven't tried it yet, is I always have rangers. And so that's their job is to clear that crap out. When the lines close and we need to start punching, they're ready to go because they're charging out of the woods and they don't even care. And if they don't have to do that, they're cool to just sit back and shoot stuff and hang out on an objective. I don't know, dude. I love rangers. I think when second edition first dropped and we first started playing it, I had... Um, crossbowmen made for my warhammer army and i was like oh these crossbow guys kind of suck and i just took rangers just to see what happened and like the first game i played with them i was like these guys are incredible and it just it has stuck with me since then like uh i think i was playing chris gibney and he gave me a flank with a troop of rangers and he was like so what do those guys do and i was like oh they're rangers he's like what are they like melee five six and i was like no they're melee four crush one ten attack yeah no one sees that flank coming i agree with that like i used to I, I can't tell you the number of times I've flanked a dragon or something like that with a troop of rangers and they end up killing it. Like it's it's hilarious <laughs> every time it happens. And but again, like I said, the, a nerve of ten, twelve. I mean, they're going to get looked at. They're going to get wavered, and and they can't do anything at that point. I just ah oh, man, really wish they kept the head strong. It's a little disappointed on that one. Me that too. Is de- that is definitely a bummer. Sure. Um, however, like like I've been taking the her. Mass regiment and a regular one, and you just park those guys in the woods. One of them is stealthy and covered. The other one's getting cover. So usually people are like, I'm going to shoot your Brock Riders instead. I'm like, please do. I think that's an excellent point. And so far as when I was taking them, I was always taking two and they were always in tandem. They were always hanging out together because what that allows you to do then is you're putting 24 shots into something and you're really putting pressure on. And if they have to go in and get you, then they're usually hindered when they go into the woods to go fight you. Right. Yep. And that, that I think is the way to do it. You take one and it's just it's out there floating around getting ready to get killed. Right. Absolutely. I think it's kind of like with everything, you know, you kind of want to run stuff that synergizes well. And I think a couple of these guys together do that super well because they, so they can talked support about each that other. They in can... the over Ogre Army review where they were talking about how, you know, how every unit kind of ends up doing better if you take multiples of it. So, you know, it, it's kind of like that with, uh, you know, various units to a certain extent. But, you know, if you if you take one cannon, OK, whatever, you take two, three cannons. OK, whoa, that's a you know, it's a different different bear. So. I think it's kind of like that. 
with, with absolutely rangers. and and one thing before we move on from rangers um and it kind of has to do with cannons is you know cannons have that shattering special rule now and so if you can get that shattering on the same unit that you're peppering with rangers you know it can start taking out you know serious units I didn't um, think of that. That's really actually kind of smart. The, the synergy is great. Ooh, Mike Rossi said I'm smart. Buddy, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so actually I have this really stupid list. I'll talk about it later um, when we get to that part um, that just is all about shattering and pot shot shooting. So we'll see what happens. But uh, do we want to move on to the Iron Watch? I figure we'll just touch both, actually, I guess technically all four varieties at the same time, Mr. Chavez. Yeah, you have to go through all, all the varieties here. You got the crossbows and then the rifles, and then you have the free dwarf rifles and free dwarf crossbows. Between the, the free and the non-free, um, basically you trade Headstrong for Pathfinder. Both are pretty irrelevant there, I don't think. <laughs> like that's, neither, neither of those roles are really going to make it big. I'd say Headstrong's a little better, but not really changing their role in any capacity there. Now, they basically have stayed the same from the last edition here, and the only, only really addition is the rule of pot shot, which is now if you move, you basically still get to shoot. However, I, I'm not a fan of the pot shot rule. I mean, you're, you're shooting at, I believe, a minus two penalty. Is minus that right? Two, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it means you get half shots on sixes. So even on a horde, you go from 20 attacks down to 10 on sixes. That's, you know one point whatever hits i mean that's that's just not really anything relevant i mean it's cute i mean yeah you get to do something but it's not going to do any damage um i i mean the pot shot rule is not even worth the fuss <laughs> like why yeah. why bother but i'm gonna argue a little bit with that only in so okay. far as yes you will only do a point of damage but it triggers a nerve check so before it's like you just your your regiment is turning around going what and not doing anything and at the very least now you're like boop take a nerve check boop take a nerve check right it okay. forces them to come to you you know, it, it, sure. in an army where we don't have a lot of like lightning bolt and little things to, to trigger those nerve checks, I think that is something kind of important. Right. I mean, I, I agree with you. I just, you know, I think there's ways to trigger nerve check doesn't cost 260 points, right? Nerve, <laughs> oh, I agree so, with that too. Uh, I'm, not I mean, saying I, I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying right, that that's right. The thing, right? Sure. No, I just think you have to, at the end of the day, you know, they have to do damage. And and they took out, I, I believe, in, unless I'm mistaken here, the uh, the whole 36-inch range is, is gone now, right? The Jar of the Four Winds, right? That is yeah, no longer the game. It's gone. That was the only way I think you really got those units to work, right? You got that horde, you gave them that extended range, and you kind of parked them up in, in you know, the one clear lane you had and just kind of fired and they got close to whatever objective was standing there. So you lose that. I'm just not a fan of really any of these units. Um, I don't know. Maybe you guys can get them to work. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing with these guys. I'm sure there's someone out there who's a genius can figure it out. But I, I just think they're overpriced, and there's just better, better ways to get damage output from shooting. No, I agree. I, I, my, my take is uh, on Iron Watch crossbows, I thought that was probably the worst unit in the dwarf list in version 2, just because it, it still had reload. And... Re, re, Reload is just such a brutal rule with, for a shooting unit, especially when you only get piercing one. And so it was like, like if you're going to pay for reload, you might as well get piercing two. So nobody ever really ended up taking crossbows much. The only time that rifles were really good was if they grouped it with one of the two items that were really good. You mentioned one of them, the Jar of the Four Winds, that's gone. That would give them the plus 12-inch range. The other one that was used to be really good with them was the Brew of Keen Inus, where it was a plus one to hit. And so then you had, you know, all those shots hitting on fours. But then both of those items went away. So if you get both of those items away and, and it's just so many points, 
I I just can't see it, and, and I really don't think Pathfinder in both the Free Dwarf versions, adding Pathfinder to rifles or crossbows doesn't really do anything. I mean, it, how how many times are you going to be charging out of there? I, I mean, I guess maybe if you're going to march, it's it's something, but I don't know. I I just look at all the Iron Watch entries, and I I just kind of move on. I I just don't see them as as very good values. You and me both, bro. I mean, one of the things that I'm looking at here is Adrian Scott has a question that says, are Iron Watch crossbows worth taking? Are rifles worth taking over sharpshooters, rangers, artillery? And I just don't see it. I mean, I'm looking at two two regiments of rifles, right? So uh, versus three uh, troops of sharpshooters. Yes, you're getting you're getting um, a little more unit strength, and, and you're getting a couple more attacks, a couple more shots, but you're hitting on fives. The sharpshooters hit on fours. The damage output is the same, and it's three separate targets for your opponent to try to remove. You know, and plus twelve inch range. Yeah, yeah the range I is key. Don't yeah, see it. I just don't see it. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think Pathfinder. I wish they gave him like scout instead or something like that. But then at least you could have like moved into like a somewhat advantageous position where you could control more. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm just yeah, try, just trying to and justify also, something here. Well, and also allow you to shoot first turn. Exactly. Right, right now you have to wait till second turn. So the whole first right. turn is like, nope, I'm good. Uh, you can pot shot on first turn. You could. <laughs> right. I mean, just, you know. <laughs> sure. I'm just trying to be positive, guys. Hey, hey. I'm right there with you. Positivity. Um, that. So, I don't know. As a guy who uses rangers all the time, I'm just like, why would I ever do that? <laughs> exactly. I, I don't like units that just stand there and shoot. Because in an army that's already slow and static, I can't afford to like have units that just can't do anything else. Well, I mean, if and you really want to laugh, look, look at the compare a unit, compare the regiment of Iron Watch rifles to a regiment of Rangers, and yeah, it's you know thirty five points less. You know, instead of uh, your your melee five instead of melee four, no crushing strength, no scout, no pathfinder. Two less attacks, and and then you're and you're also minus one unit strength and two less attacks. It's just, it's really just not even close, in yeah. my opinion. Now, the only time I've actually ever played Iron Watch was um, uh, a while back. Rob and I did a siege game on YouTube, and I took them to part on the side of my castle and shot the hell out of everybody because nobody could touch them. But um, that that was it, and that was really just like, wouldn't it be funny if I took a horde of iron watch? Uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't honestly see using them all the time. I think in like a fun type game, if you're just messing around, they'd be all right. But they're certainly not on my to paint priority list. I I think the key is if if they ever bring out another ranged magic item in Clash of Kings next year or something like that. You know, because that's how they were viable in second edition was if you took a horde of rifles and you gave them one of those two magic items, then yeah. they were okay. It, unless and until that happens, I can't see anyone ever really taking these in a competitive list. Right on. That dead horse. Uh, why don't we move on to Iron Guard, Mr. Mueller? Sure. Uh, so Iron Guard are just kind of the uh, step up from the ironclad. And these guys are really, really good. I'm I'm actually in so in in second edition I I played mostly Brocks and Rocks and right now that's what I've got on my painting table is I'm trying to paint up a couple of regiments of Iron Guard they are so good their defense six hits on threes 
uh, you know, 12 attacks, unit strength three, only 150 points with 15, 17 nerve. Um, and they, and they can take a throwing mastiff, which as I've stated many times, I love, um, I mean, these are just great, great infantry units. And I, I actually personally think they are probably the best standard mainline infantry unit that the dwarves have, uh, just because if you take multiple regiments of these, you give them the dogs and you get some Bane chant, uh, you know, you, you're, you're probably obviously taking a loot. Maybe you're taking a flame priest, maybe a stone priest, uh, just keep them Bane chanted up to get crushing so that they have a little more punch, but they're already hitting on threes and all that defense six is just hard to deal with. Defense six is a little more rare now. Uh, they did take some crushing, uh, and some thunderous out of certain other lists, uh, you know, whether or not that'll actually end up kind of playing out in the tournament scene. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, cause I'm interested to see if, you know, Hey, so they, they nerfed a unit. Well, now is everybody just going to take other units that still have the crushing or thunderous, but still d- defense six is presumably, uh, e- even better than it was in, in second edition. And Iron Guard are just an excellent unit, and and if you really spam the throwing mastiffs, uh, I, I think they could be totally viable in a competitive build. Absolutely, I think point for point, like probably the best defensive unit in the army. Um, it is worth noting they're only available in the free in the uh, Imperial Dwarf list, so that's kind of a bummer for me, especially since I just painted some, but. I think they're amazing. They're excellent candidates for those throwing massives because they're so tough. Um, hitting on threes is huge because, I mean, that just makes a big difference in your number of hits um, per turn. And then, like you said, everybody's stuck. If you're playing dwarves, you got Bane Chant because otherwise you're kind of doing it wrong. These guys are so great. I just love them. I mean, you have to throw a lot at that. I mean, you know, even if you you can take a charge from a knight unit and, you know what, they're still only going to do gonna wound on fours and it, it's they're just so tough exactly what i was gonna say you look at the defense to nerve ratio and that's pretty much the best in the game you're gonna find um the defense stakes for 15 17 150 points pretty much unbeatable i mean i, I really love this unit um to me the, the reason why i don't like ironclad because they exist and they just they they do the defensive role way better and they also have melee three, like you said, which is huge. It means they actually do something, right? You throw them a bane chant, they get a flank. They're they're gonna do something, right? Um, yes. That's you know you can't just ignore them completely, which you know you, you tend to do with a lot of defensive units, right? You, but anytime you have a defensive unit, you have to assume to a point that your opponents kind of kind of ignore them, right? And and you know these guys say, okay, go ahead and try to ignore us, right? We're gonna we're gonna actually make you pay for it. I love this unit, but I find that every time I make a list, they just they drop. And mm-hmm. and we'll, when we get to the list ideas later, you'll 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 listen why. Um, but that being said, I love this unit because defense six, fifteen, seventeen, the elite dwarves move out of the way. We got this. We're gonna stand here, and no one's gonna move us, right? Once again, with me, it goes back to Tolkien. There's a spot in the Silmarillion which nobody bothered to read, but I did. And um, the dwarves actually they talk about at like the big battle at the end of the first stage. There's a bunch of dragons that Morgoth sends out, and the dwarves come up with like these dudes with giant shields and giant metal face masks that repel the repel the fire. And I'm like, that is that is this unit, right? We are setting up where you will not move us from this spot. It is it is hot, right? I mean, you can hear it in my voice. Like this, 
this unit makes me think dwarf more than any other unit in the game, right? It is, it is burly. And you got to consider too that there's, there's, you know, overall less crush in the game. I wouldn't say there's a lot less. You're still going to see a lot of it out there, but you know, some people just can't handle that much defense six, right? You put three regiments of these guys on the table, that's nine unit strength, you know, for not a lot of points that your opponents, a lot of points are just going to struggle to deal with. They just don't have answers for it. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to throw way too many points, you know, to, to commit to actually deal with them. And, and you know, in scenario play, I think they're really good. But, I mean, I agree. And we do have a lot of other good options as well. So, you know, I, I get Ross's point. So next we have the Steel Behemoth, which is a unit I'm a big fan of historically. Looking at his profile, he's a monster, which is one of two monsters we have. He's speed four, as usual, melee four, range four, which melee four is a change now. And he has D6 plus 12 attacks. Uh, he's got a nerve 17, 19, and he's got crushing three, headstrong strider. He comes base with a flame belcher, which is a... Breath, well, I guess I shouldn't say breath anymore because it doesn't exist, but it's a 12-inch range, 10 attack, pierce one with steady aim. So, um, yeah, you move four, you have effective range of 16 with that gun, um, and it's pretty effective still. Um, now, there's the option. You can upgrade to Golok's Fury, uh, which is very inspiring. Iron Resolve, and instead of the Flame Belcher, you get Golok's Gun, which is 18-inch range, attacks 12, pierce two for 50 points. Um... The points is 260 on the Super So if you're looking at your second edition rules, he went up in points and more or less the same effectiveness. The melee, he's four uh, with the, with the um, he's basically got less attacks, but he hits about the same. So there's not too much of a difference there. Um, I, I'm a fan of the Silver Hemoth. I, I liked it in the old edition. I still like it now. And I actually do like the Golox upgrade. I mean, a lot of people might think that you're overpaying for that. But um, I, I love the 18-inch the range on the gun, and I love the fact that you can move forward and still shoot it. And, and it doesn't have steady aim, one thing to note, um, which is kind of confusing, is the steady aim is attached to the flame belcher on the, on the previous weapon. So um, if you move them and shoot them, you're hitting on fives, but the fives is still not bad with 12 attacks. You're still going to get some hits. And Pierce 2 is just really nasty on that gun. Um, you know, I, I think the Silver Him is a good, you know, he's good to set up. If you're going to run some artillery pieces, which we'll get into later, um, I think he's sort of a good babysitter for them where he can kind of sit around them and just kind of, you know, melt things that get too close and, and provide inspiring, you know, in the meantime for your, for your stuff around there. Um, what are your guys' experiences with this guy? I I ran two steel behemoths in, uh, in my turning list for a while when they buffed him after one of the Clash of Kings when he had Breath 15. And oh, so, did they, I. so did I. They, they nerfed him back down. So that, did everybody. <laughs> yeah, because it was just really, really good. Right, um, right. Please. But I, I have to say, I, I, I mean, I, I like that they made him more consistent in version, in, in third edition. But I'm actually, I, I'm just not a huge fan just for the sheer points of it. Because, you know, if it's 260 points, I mean, God, that's just... It's a ton of points, and for that, I think I'd rather, for that exact cost, you could also take a unit of Iron Guard and a cannon, and I'd rather have that pretty much every time. It's got more more unit strength, it's got more punch, it's got more shooting, it's just, it's just better. Uh, it's two targets, two drops, uh, and, and then the other thing that I always kind of do in the back of my head, because uh, I'm a sadist, is I always compare the Steel Behemoth because it's so high in points and it's got Crushing 3 and it's a monster. I compare it to a dragon and, you know, because that's kind of where, but it, it just, 
it's so slow and it's you can kind of avoid it. It's got that huge flank. Um, it's just for for 260 points. I I just I, I, every time I, I think a you know a, a cannon and a u- unit of iron guard would probably just be better. So that's just my I, sense. I, I I am so down with you for two reasons. One, and just to be clear for everybody, it's on a chariot base, so it does have a gigantor flank. It, it when it gets flanked, it, even at defense six, it feels very sad. Um, the other thing, though, about that extra 50 points, so for 310 points, you are getting uh, very inspiring, which actually is kind of cool. I actually think that's the reason why you would go and bump it up, not the extra gun. I don't think that really matters that much. That that very inspiring makes a big difference in the list, especially when you have a compact battle line. You stick it right in the middle. It's there for flanking. It's kind of scary. But that being said, I totally agree. I'm glad I'm not the only one that that I always make a comparison to one of these monsters too. But what if I had an, uh, an ironclad regiment and something else? And you compare those things to the thing you're buying. Boy, I mean, you're out. You're out a couple of unit strength, just like you said. I don't know if it's worth it now. I use. Listen, I'm Steam Tank King. I love Steam Tanks, but and 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 Steel Behemoths. But I am not sure how good this is. To counteract what Alex said earlier, where he's like he loves the reliability of hitting on fours, I really liked hitting on fives because I was throwing way more dice, and sometimes those dice get swingy. So I could blow, let's say, twenty dice plus a d six, so twenty four dice, and I may get in a in a roll fifteen hits or twelve hits because I roll lucky, and then that dude, that my opponent is very very sad, right? But right now, because I'm rolling less dice, the swing factor is less. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Sure, I'm, sure. Maybe I, 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 maybe I I'm you. just saying I like being lucky as opposed yeah. to being good, right? But the problem is that it swings the other way too, though, right? So oh, I mean, totally it, it depends. So I, I mean, the other thing I'll say in his defense, which I think is is something that gets often overlooked, is that I mean, he he's got a cool gun and everything, but I mean, obviously you want him in combat, right? He does way more damage in combat, and he's got crushing three. Um, I mean, we don't really have access to crushing in combat really in this list, so. Um, you know, if you're running up against, you know, say the mirror match, I, that's a match I found the civil is, is invaluable in. I mean, he will just shred through a dwarf line. I agree um, with that. You yeah. know, so so I mean, you can't undervalue that. You know, if you're playing some some tough list, you know, I've, I've seen him do really well against you know Empire Dust and some other like undead lists that have that defense five you're running into, where he's just touching it, and he's doing, he's winning on twos. I mean, he's putting consistent damage out there. I mean, I'll take take your ironclad and take your cannons. I'll take him any day over that. They they're not going to match his damage up by a long shot. So if I, I, yeah, I mean. I kill you with one cannon. No, I'm just saying. If I nick you, if I touch you with this, I kill you. I'm here. Oh, I'm right, on right. Twos, right. Just to eat it, right? Exactly. And that's the that's the trick, really, with this guy. I think. I mean, I think it is a finesse piece because it's very slow, right? Like it's a it's a moving four chariot. It's, it's see, ridiculous, right? It's it's actually ridiculous. But see, that's know. why I prefer the cannon and the iron guard, though, because if you got the cannon, if that that with movement four. That cannon might end up taking three shots at that thing before it even really can get into the fight. Bingo. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it's definitely going to get targeted. I think there's no question about that. And that's where I like the Iron Resolve. You know, if you can get, I say it was a lot better when you had access to Martyr's Prayer. I mean, that's something I'm sure we'll talk about. But, um, you know, I think I think there's still a place for him. I do think that he provides a unique role in the dwarf list. I think what's interesting to note is like there aren't really a lot of high crushing hammers in the list and if you look at the steel behemoth on average it's probably going to do being conservative like seven wounds in combat which is huge absolutely um and then not only that yeah he's slow but if you especially if you upgrade to gollocks which if i'm taking steel behemoth i'm upgrading it 
without question. I'll find the 40, 50 points or whatever. He's very inspiring. That means you need less inspiring sources, obviously. Um, and then he gets the longer range to shoot with. So your gut in effect, it was at 22 inch shooting range. When I was playing the Imperial Dwarfs before the Free Dwarf list officially came out, I, I had this guy in every list because I just, I don't know. I, I really dig him now. I mean, I used to run him in before he was good, you know, before they upgraded him in Clash of Kings. I'm oh, you're a bad man. You're uh, a bad man, yeah. Well, actually, we don't really need to talk about it too much, but before they introduced unit strength, he was 250 points of you ain't going to kill this. When I found that I've, when I've run him, people are just like, I'm not even going to try. And they don't even bother to try to attack it because it's 17, 19 defense six. They're just like, so, I'll kill your other stuff. Or at least the I, way I build lists. <laughs> I will say this, this is a guy that if I was going to take it, uh, one of the main reasons why I would take it, the, the upgrade to Gullix Freer, actually the inspiring is, is great. And the, and the gun is great, but iron resolve it's really great because if you do want to try to take it out, you're not going to take out 17, 19 defense six in one hit unless you've got some own unholy unit. Uh, and so because of that, I really iron resolve is, is really awesome. It'll probably take off, you know, you would figure at least two, maybe three wounds. And uh, the, the other thing I, I, you can't give it to it because it's a monster, but I, I really wish you could give it the Aegis of the Low High. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be fun. To dream. <laughs> well, I think last thing I want to point out is you know the chariot base can be kind of a, a double-edged sword because yeah, it's got a big flank, but it also lets you corkscrew a little bit easier. So you can do some some cheeky stuff with. with it. Um, and if you've got D six plus twelve attacks times two, you're gonna kill whatever it is you're touching um i had a game where he was corkscrewing stuff combat after combat and he was just like cool 14 15 wounds pick it up you know i don't know i like the steel behemoth i think he's a cool model but yeah, we need to move the strider too move forward because we got a ton more units to talk about so let's move on to earth elementals mr chavez definitely you know i like um so earth elementals they are a little different so worth noting um they are still shambling, still speed 5, still melee 4 with 18 attacks. Still defense 6, the most important thing to note. Uh, now they have Brutal, um, which so is kind of cool. And they're dash 18 now, which is one nerve higher. But they also cost 220 points. So they're okay. more or less the same. Um, just, you know, a little bit more expensive. I, if you ask me which version would I take, I, I definitely would take the version 2 version. You know, so I, I think that... You know, I'd rather not buy those upgrades on them, but um, but they're still they're still you know rock solid for back like a better words pun intended. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I love them. I mean, I think I still think two to three of these guys hordes are are going to be a staple of a lot of dwarf armies. You know, um, if you look at the rocks and brocks sort of style, I think that's still very effective, and I think you know there's no reason to think that they can't form a good mainstay in your army. Um, I mean, I think Stone Priest, which we'll talk about later, got you know a little bit different now, and they're better. So um, you could argue that they got better that way as well. Um, I don't know. Let's let's hear from you guys. What do you guys think? I think um, really they got more expensive, but Brutal is huge, and that plus one nerve is kind of a big deal. So if you think about if you were buying those items traditionally, that would be what twenty five, thirty points. So that's kind of covering how much the cost increases, but 
I think when we get to the Stone Priest, we'll see why I think it's a net gain. Yeah, just because the Stone Priest got cheaper and there's some other stuff. But I mean, Earth Elementals are good. Does anybody else have anything to say? <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm I'm mostly a Brocks and Rocks guy, and when right. I play with Earth Elementals, I actually think they're better in third edition than in second. Um, uh, and I I actually, in my opinion, I I will pay the extra 20 points and i know it's a lot but i I, you know supposedly crushing is a crushing is more rare it's harder to deal with defense six in uh in third ed and the the main thing that i really like is that that plus one nerve fearless 18 uh you know every wound that you put on a d6 unit is just tough to get on there fearless 18 means it's going to be really 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 hard for something to charge and one shot it. And then it's going to get come right back the next turn and it's going to get brutal in there. So it's going to be minus one and you've got sh- surging shenanigans. Uh, you know, it's just a, I, I think it's a great, great unit. Very competitive. All right. Well, let's move on to his big brother, uh, the greater earth elemental. Um, so this one is obviously available to both lists. It does have a fancy upgrade in the free dwarf list, which I'll get to in a second. The Greater Earth Elemental has received a lot of changes. It is very different from its um, second edition counterpart. So in second, it was like 160 points. It was a little bit slower. It had less nerve. It had a lot less attacks. But in third, he speeds six, melee four, defense six still. Um, so unit strength one, but 12 attacks. Dash 19 nerve. At 230 points. Beast, to be sure. Uh, he also comes with Brutal. He has Crushing Strength 3, which we said is kind of at a premium in 3rd edition. Uh, Shambling still, and Strider. Just, I mean, a defense 6 giant is basically what he is, with more consistent attack output. Like, he's a beast. And then in the Free Dwarf list, if you take him, uh, you can upgrade him once per army to Kragoth and Kolarm. If you remember Kragoth and Kolarm from the edge of the abyss these guys are back so basically this is one of my favorite fluff things so i'm gonna go into it now but um it's like 10 years in the future past this kragoth is breaking down he's not doing so hot anymore and of course they have this kind of han and chewy rocket and groot sort of dynamic which is adorable and so uh kolarm is like yeah this is my friend we're gonna fix him so he finds a warsmith who agrees to work with him and like repairs kragoth upgrades his joints with like metal plates and rods and puts this big honking furnace in him to kind of keep him going and as a result he gains the flamesmith keyword which at this time doesn't do anything the inspiring self and scout special rules and fireball 10 for 25 points i love the greater earth elemental i'll, I'll speak I, i'm unfortunately not as excited I hate to be all contrarian here but <laughs> i i just don't like him i don't know um i thought last edition what you got for him you know when you try to play him was a a a very small concentration of nerve and defense, right? Like you got for for a very bargain price. Um, you lose the price now. You get a little bit more offense out of it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it's a tough one to me. Um, it really depends what you're trying to do with him. I think you really have to find a, a unique role for him in your list and kind of build him. You know, I think I think you really have to build this around him to to make him work because otherwise, he's just too expensive. I think. I, I agree with Alex. One of the things that I think makes a difference is, yes, he's more offensive. So he has four extra attacks, two extra hits. He's probably going to do two extra wounds. He's, he's a crusher. 
Uh, plus one nerve with the brutal. Totally cool. I get it. 70 extra points for a 75 millimeter base as opposed to before when he was on 50 mil. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's hard when you want to cram him in with a bunch of other you know, with a bunch of other uh, things into a, into a charge. Having that bigger base means that more things can charge him. It's kind of, I don't know. I am I am not sold on him yet. But in Free Dwarf, in a Free Dwarf list, I actually like the idea of having played against Abyssal Dwarves who have elementals that shoot stuff. I like the idea of having an elemental that shoots people um, with fireballs and such. I think that the modeling opportunities are there too. I just, I don't know if I see it though. Compared to the, an Earth Elemental Horde that gives you unit strength three. Anyway, that's my thought. But crush I, three matters. So I actually, uh, you know, I, again, I, I, I like him. Uh, I think he's got a very different role than he did in second edition. So, uh, you know, I agree. Second edition, you're buying 160 points of some really tough nerve. But now he, he's got so much more offensive firepower with Brutal, with the increased attacks. The other thing that I just love about it is that he's speed six. And because he's a Titan and he's height six. So here, here's another thing. Again, you know, I'm primarily a Brocks and Rocks guy. And I really like, you know, I understand that we're going to get to the Free Dwarf uh, Stone Priest later and, and Martyr's Prayer and all that. But the Greater Earth Elemental, one thing that's really useful for him is if you have a Stone Priest and you've got somebody that's trying to shoot at him because he's got a bunch of martyr's prayer wounds on him, you can hide him behind that height six greater earth elemental, and it's really tough. To, you, you can't see around him, so you can you can hide him behind there, and even if they're up on a hill or whatever, it's it's really, it, if if you hide him behind there, you, you, you can't put wounds on him very easily. And I the other thing that I love time. about the greater earth elemental is, so, you know, with nerve... Fearless 19 and uh, and Defense 6, he's almost certainly not going to get one-shotted. But what you can do, that, that what really makes him dangerous, and uh, you know that six inches just makes him all the more dangerous, is he can take a charge, turn, pivot, move six inches, and then get charged, surged into something else. And man, that is... The, the one of the reasons why I like both the regular elementals and the greater earth elementals is because it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you play chess and you've got a rook, you know, people know, okay, that guy goes straight forward and side to side and everybody kind of accounts for him. But the, where people get lost kind of is, is when you move your knight around because he can move in different ways and people forget about stuff. And that's the way if, if you take two, I like to take two hordes of uh, earth elementals and a greater earth elemental to cap it, boy, it's hard to take any one of those things out in one charge, especially now that they've got the buffed nerve and defense six. And then it's it's almost impossible to avoid getting side charged by one of those things the next turn. And and that's where you do your real damage. You know, so if you, uh, you know, and, and it's also serves as a pretty good dragon defense too. Uh, even though the dragons oh. have crushing three, they can't one-shot them usually. And then when you get that flank charge on a dragon, that's that is pain. Well, and it's interesting about the crush three from the dragons, but you know he's he's got Strider, so you can park him in the woods. So if someone does come into you, they're, they're hindered. You know he's on a square base, so he can corkscrew like a madman. Yes, he can. Um, 
the brutal is nothing to be sneezed at either. And also, stop telling people my strategy for what I'm going to be doing with my Martyr's Prayer Stone Priest at Masters. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been doing it already. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I don't know. Like, I see what you guys are saying. He's a little bit more expensive. But I just think that in, a, in an addition where we're lacking crushing, that defense six that he has is worth more. And the fact that he has crushed three and he He's a little bit faster, a little bit more nerve. I just, I love him. You know, because it is, because with surging, it is easier to get these guys in the flanks now. You, you know, with getting, or well, not now. They've always been easier to get in the flanks. But if you get nine attacks into a flank, you know, boy, that that's rough. But 12 attacks into a flank, boy, that's <laughs> that's even that's harder. Damage. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if you get hit in the flank by this this greater earth elemental in third edition, he's deleting a unit pretty much. That's that's going to be 12 hits on crushing three. It, it Maybe some units can take that, but not yeah, it's, many. It's 10 wounds and you're hitting the bricks. That's exactly it. Definitely. I agree. I Again, he, he's awesome. I think he's good. I just, to me, he, he gets too close to the Steel Behemoth to me where I... I default still be here personally. That's how I look at it. But um, well, if you're cool go. and you play free dwarfs, you don't get a steel behemoth. So you, you do with what you got. Very good point. Very good point. So capping off the rocks discussion, we have the stone priest. We have the imperial version and the free dwarf version because it you know makes a difference. So the uh, both of them are <laughs> speed four, like every other dwarf. Melee five, but who cares? Defense five. That matters. Nerve 11, 13, 90 points. And then he comes out of the gate with Surge 8. He has Headstrong Individual Inspiring, Earthbound only. And you can give him Bane Champ for 20 points. Bane Champ for 20 points matters way more in this edition because he has the Stone Shaper role. If this unit has taken the Bane Chant option below, it may, after surging a friendly elemental unit into somebody else, it may immediately cast Bane Chant. So you get to cast both spells in a single turn. That's really awesome, and you should do that. Now, that being said, the Free Dwarf version, though, boy, it's it's. I think it's mm-hmm. better. Uh, same points, but you get access not just to Bane Champ, but also to Martyr's Prayer. Martyr's Prayer, one of your Stone Priests can take Martyr's Prayer 7 for 35 extra points. In my second edition list, Martyr's Prayer was the bomb because, oddly enough, um, Dwarves don't have access to, any, to hardly any heal. But that gave us the opportunity to make these defense six units kind of stick around. Free dwarves have that option now. So and that opens up a whole that really makes me wonder which which list to take. So that this unit right there is actually encompassing for me the divide on which list, whether Imperial Dwarf or Free Dwarf to take. Here's the so, prayer. So that is a huge deal. And I like a lot of people, I think when it first came out, we're talking, why doesn't the Imperial Dwarf list have this? You know, and I think I think the reason, very obviously, would be because you have 150-point Defense 6 infantry units, and that would be broken. But, you know, I've been playing Free Dwarfs a bunch, and I have been taking Martyr's Prayer a little bit. And I stopped taking it when I first started playing 3rd, because I was like, eh, it was a kind of a crutch. But then I was like, man, getting back 12 to 15 wounds a game is pretty dope. If, you're, if you hide them consistently, you're going to siphon back a regiment's worth of wounds on your units a, a game. And I think that's huge, because... You know, he he also has that other utility of being able to surge stuff. He inspires stuff, but you know, he's basically a blade of wounds for your elementals, which is gigantic. You know, I he kept my I played a game uh, last week. He kept my greater earth elemental in a game way longer than he ought to have because he took a double charge from some Molochs. I ended up healing all that wounds, all the wounds off, and he was able to. I think he lived the whole game. 
because I was just siphoning wounds off him the whole time. Obviously, when you... In 3rd edition, we have the, the new rule, Devastated. So if you do Martyr's Prayer yourself past 12... Ner- or 13 Nerve, excuse me, he is going to be at half value. So he'll only be casting Surge 4 or Martyr's Prayer 3, which is kind of a bummer. But I think at that point, he's made his points back. Because for uh, what would be 125 points... If he siphons off 13 wounds off a defense six unit, that's that's big, I think. Yes, it's one of those good problems, right? It's a problem I want to have, which is my that I've healed so much I've not devastated myself, right? It's like, okay, no problem, right? <laughs> I was kind of think the same thing. Um, I actually hate what I'm about to say, which is that I, I agree with Mike Rossi on almost everything he said. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Genius. Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolute game changer with the free dwarf stone face having martyr's prayer, right? I mean, it, it was amazing. Um, you know, in second edition, there's no question about it. Um, and and you know, I was a little sad when we lost it in, in the regular dwarf list, but then you know, again, I think that this, in my opinion, is what makes free dwarves, you know, really stand apart and and you know, competitive in their own right. Is this access to martyr's prayer again? Um, I've been playing with a lot of different Stone Priest builds. I find that taking the Bane Chance is pretty much a must in every every list. I think you always yeah, pay those 20 to. points, yeah, and which, which is fine. Yeah, you have to. And, and he's actually cheaper than now, right? So he's 90 points now, and, and you take the 20s, 110. So it's actually fine. He's kind of back where he was before. And I've been taking the Conjuring Staff. I don't know about you guys. Yep. I think it's a really, really good item if you guys haven't taken that yet, basically, because you get to reroll a die, which basically you know effectively gives you Surge 9. Uh, which kind of lets you do kind of those four-inch charges a little bit safer. And then also, if you hit it, you get to do a Bane Chant with Bane Chant in three effectively, right? So you get to get the double tap on the Conjuring Staff in twice in one turn. Right. Um, it's just, just super good, I think. I think it's a really effective build. I don't know, I don't know what you guys have been doing. Uh, in my excited. Imperial Dwarf list, I am. In my Imperial Dwarf list, I take the Conjuring Staff. Uh, you are correct. And I, the funny thing about Elementals is they charge 10, right? And so if I can't reach you... The chance of me getting in, unless I'm doing the turn and then going to your in your flank, the chance of me getting into something that's kind of far away, I need the conjurer staff to make those odds work. You, you see what I mean? Um, but for the imperial dwarves, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry for the uh, for the free dwarves, I don't take the conjuring staff. I take the dark lord's honest ring because I give them martyr's prayer and I give them regen six. Okay. Right. And so same points. I'm not doing the, I'm not doing that. What I'm, what instead I'm doing is I'm just eating wounds as the game goes on to stop that devastation from happening is the thought. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, I think one thing worth mentioning is the Tome of Darkness too. For 20 points, you get surge four, or get increased blood surge four. That's a really, really efficient item. I think that's um, legit. Yeah. Like if you look historically, like you used to pay a lot more for surge. There's a very heavy tax on it. Yeah. Um, and so surge four again, like you said, Rossi, like you said, you used to be, and if you're out of 10, you can't really surge into it. Right. If I go from surge eight to surge 12, I'm getting six on average. Now that, that means I'm charging you 11. So that you kind of changes the game a bit on what elementals can do with, with surges. And, and if you have another, you know, if you take two stone priests, which I think is not crazy anymore, if you have enough other elementals, you can definitely justify it now with the, with the cheaper cost on the elementals. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of cool options here. I mean, I think I think some priests are amazing, right? So, um, definitely, if you're taking elementals, you take one. So no, no question. I, w- I was going to say, I you know, as again, as a primarily rocks and rocks player, you know, I, when the when the first list came out, I th- thought, you know, okay, well, you know, I can still probably make this work, but man, you know, lo- not losing, you know, not having really any access, the only access to heal that we even have is if you take the 30-point magic item, and then it's just kind of so-so. 
it, it, and then when when I saw the Friedorf list had Martyr's Prayer, really that kind of tracks you. If you're gonna do Brocks and Rocks, you want to do Friedorfs, not not Imperials. Um, and and really the Stone Priest is the reason why that Martyr's Prayer is when you heal something off of a defense six unit, your opponents just want to scream because. They just put how many elf arrows into those damn things, and they finally cause three or four wounds, and then, whoop, they just go right away. Uh, yeah, he's just amazing. He's really good. I, I think it can't be discounted, though, that um, Mars Prayer is dope, but I think that the, the Stone Shaper special rule where you get to cast that free Bane chant Super is cool. so good because... I don't know how many times, I mean, you know, traditionally we normally have the one Bane chant, right? And in second edition you had, okay, maybe you had a Stone Priest with Bane chant, maybe you had the ASB. Well, if you're using your Stone Priest to flank charge something with a Surge, cool, they're still only crush one. But now, if you can, if you get that Stone Shaper off, now they're doing, you know, they're crush two, they're brutal. <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree. And the, uh, in second edition, in all my tournament lists, I actually gave my Dwarf Stone Priest for that explicit reason. I gave him the item where once per game you could cast two spells in a turn. Yep. And every time, that's what I would use it for. And so when I when I saw this new Stone Shaper rule, I was doing cartwheels because I was like, thank goodness, I don't have to take that stupid item every single time because of all the times that you want to cast those two in one turn, boy, if you get your horde of elementals in the side and you get crushing two on them, look out. That's, <laughs> that is pain. Nobody wants that. And the point yeah. efficiency is really good because the stone priest used to rock in at 110 before you gave him anything. And now he's 90. So he's the same points, but now he's got Bane chant in his pocket and he can just cast it. So he doesn't need that magic item. I mean, that really is some strong stuff. Right. I mean, I think most of the time you honestly, when I, the way I play and I, as a fellow Brocks and Rocks player, I mean, I think you usually look at them, Bane Chant those Brocks, right? I mean, they're the ones who really need it, right? They're, they're the ones who have the vicious and really want to need the crushing, right? So, you know, but how, how much does it suck when you miss that two die Bane Chant, right? It just, it just sucks. So I think having the, the, the conjuring staff on that to give me Bane Chant three and just, you know, makes it reliable. Even if that's all he does, if he, all he does is follow elementals and cast Bane Chant on Brocks, then he's doing his job perfectly fine. Yep. Well, and and that's the other thing. I, I totally agree. Uh, I've I actually have started taking uh, the conjurer staff uh, for for my stone priest as well for that explicit reason. And the the other thing is that martyr spirit. You know, it, it doesn't only have to be on your rocks. You know, now that they've uh, you know we'll talk, get to him later. But the king on large beast. He's another defense six, big nasty uh, that nobody you know nobody yes, yes. likes to put wounds on that guy because it's tough. He can heal. He can heal him. Uh, it seems like every time I take Brock's, people are shooting at him. Turn one, turn two. He can heal those wounds. He, he's always got a target for healing. Always. Yep. Well, and, and you know the free dwarfs can also take ironclad. So you still got that big defense five uh, horde, which is often a good target for martyrs prayer. Um, I don't know. I, I it's funny because I think when third was coming out, we were all thinking that infantry was going to get a super boost, and it did. But the thing that stuck out to me as soon as I read thir the third edition Dwarf Rules, I was like, dang, Earth Elementals are better. Like, hands down. Um, I don't know. Ready to move on to uh, the War Engines? Let's do it. Uh, first and foremost, the Iron Belcher Cannon. It's got range 48, blast 3, uh, die 3 plus 1, ignores cover, piercing 3, reload shattering. 
and it's got two attacks now instead of one. Uh, hits on fives, and and defense five and nerd nerve uh, ten twelve. So we're a little bit more resilient than some of the other armies that can take the cannons. Uh, it and it now has the grape shot rule, so that you can move and shoot. So now the grape shot is range twelve inches, ten attacks, piercing one, always hits on a six plus. So even if you move. Shooting at a stealthy individual in cover doesn't matter. It hits on a six plus. So that's those are all good rules. You know, I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll get to the uh, get to the other war machines in a in a second. But I do want to say, you know, in the previous edition, really Iron Belcher cannons were kind of lacking. They were probably yeah, I've no, no probably about it. They were the worst war war machine in the list, especially because they. They couldn't get around cover, and seemingly everything always has covers that you really want to shoot at. So, you know, you were hitting on sixes with only one shot for 110 points. It was just rough. And I think in third edition, it's kind of flip-flopped. Iron Belcher Cannon is kind of the king, and the other three are kind of of marginal use. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll sort of go through the other three, and then I'll get back to sort of a mega, meta view of it. Uh so then I, I was going to talk about the Flame Belcher next. So this got nerfed uh, in a number of ways. So uh, it it's a war engine that uh, it's got 15 attacks, nerve 10, 12, 90 points, uh, hits on fours, defense five, and then it's a 12 inches steady aim. It used to be a breath weapon, so that's one way in which it got nerfed, as uh, all, you know most of the breath weapons did. That you know now people get individual. Uh, minuses, uh, so it's it's not quite as good against individuals. It used to just fry those guys, but it also got minus three attacks and a little bit points. Uh, the organ gun, Iron Belcher organ gun, uh, has twelve attacks instead of fifteen, uh, so that got uh, three attacks shaved off. Ninety points uh, plus five points, I believe. Uh, hits on fives, defense five. 24 inches, piercing two, reload. Now, this is, uh, it, it's still okay. Uh, in second edition, these were really good. In third edition, you know, that shaving off those three shots and increasing the points a little bit, it, boy, it, it actually kind of changes, uh, it, it kind of changes how good this unit is. And, you know, so uh, even if, units aren't in cover or anything you're only talking about four hits and so you know four hits is is great when you're getting hit by piercing two but it 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 just is not quite as as scary and then uh and then then you also have the drone bombard and this has a it it hits on fives two attacks same nerve same defense 110 points uh, it has two versions. It's got blasted, which is 48 uh, inches blast D three plus one piercing three and with pot shot, or it has lob it, which has the old from, uh, it retained the 60 inch range from second edition, but now it's indirect and it ignores cover blast die three plus one, but now it's only piercing one and it's reload. And then the Free Dwarf version of the Bombard has an upgrade, the Jeroen Ironmonger, which gives it uh, an aura that gives Iron Resolve to War Engines only. 
and shattering uh, to its attacks for plus 10 points. Um, so there, my, just my, my opinion of, of the current status of war engines within dwarves, I, I think that the Iron Belcher cannon is the best uh, war machine now uh, with the ignoring cover and shattering and the two shots so that you get much more consistent damage over time. I think this is really the, the best way to go. Um, the bombard was previously probably my favorite, uh, you know, organ gun was also very good, but I also like the bombard in second edition because it ignored cover. Well, now the bombard only has piercing one. And so it's not, it, it lost some piercing and it, it just isn't quite as scary. Uh, so you'd rather have much rather have piercing three than piercing one. And uh, the, the only way that I think I would take a bombard is if I was taking the free dwarf version and I'd pair it with a couple of cannons. And then that way, if uh, some, some goblins trying to lightning bolt you or something, they, they put a couple of wounds on them, but then they can uh, iron resolve a couple of wounds off from shooting. So I, d I don't think that's, uh, that's without, um, without merit. The, the organ gun, in my opinion, is it, it's okay, but because it's got no unit strength, it's eating up one of your war engine slots. Uh, you know, when we talk about sharpshooters later, I, I think uh, I think there's a better option there. Uh, so I think it's worth saying the uh, Jeroen Bombard upgrade is basically you pay 10 points and it becomes a Jeroen Iron Ironmonger and it gains Aura Iron Resolve for War Engines and it gets shattering with both of its attacks, which it doesn't normally have. So I agree. If I was going to run the Bombard at all, I would run it alongside some cannons in a free dwarf list um, just so that way it's a little bit of that extra protection so you don't have to babysit them with a character or anything they get a little bit of that damage back so hopefully they're not getting shot off the board quite as quickly i think everything you said makes sense right the cannon is the obvious winner among those um you know i used to run a lot of flame belchers early on in second edition before breaths to, uh, breath weapons uh, cover penalties and that was super good and I think since then they've just kind of gotten a little bit weaker a little bit weaker and you know with them not having unit strength costing more and just generally being less effective than they used to be I don't know I can't I can't see it quite that the, much the other thing that flame belchers you know as I as I just mentioned Oregon guns kind of almost getting displaced by sharpshooters and utility I would also make that same argument for flame belchers with the throwing dogs. Uh, I think the throwing dogs have kind of displaced yes. the role of the flame belcher. Uh, the flame belcher used to be, hey, you know, maybe your flyer got on my side or something, but you better watch out because this thing's going to pivot and fry you. Well, now the dogs can do the same thing, and the dogs always hit on four. It doesn't matter if it's individual, stealthy, cover, whatever. And it's got piercing, which the which the flame belcher doesn't have, and and uh, I, I just I think it's a much more efficient thing to do the flame belcher's job. So I have a question before anybody else, I guess, jumps on it. Um, what do we think about the warsmith? Because I know he was kind of much maligned in second edition. Um, you know, I used him a little bit with, with a trio of flame belchers to make them elite, and gave him the diadem. So he, you know, there's just tons of 
fire going everywhere. But, you know, with units like the Winget, who, who whose sole job is to give elite to war engines, do you guys think that the Warsmith has a new place in our list? I think no. no. <laughs> Short answer, okay. no. Uh, no. Mainly because what you said is the Winget... Um, the thing is that his sole job is not to do that, right? Like, if you look at the wing, he's got that he's got that elite bonus, but he also has his own what three attacks that are ignores cover, blast, and and all that stuff. So, I think he has unit strength too, and he's got unit. He's strength a as scoring well. unit, dude. He's yeah. absolutely yeah. out of the world. Yeah, he, he's on a. I, he's what everything the warsmith you know I wish was right, or like a gyrocopter was right. Like he, <laughs> it's it's almost ironic I think that going into this goblins have all these cool toys and war machines and and dwarf war machines. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't be all doing gloom about it but for the points for the dam points of damage ratio is just it's just not even near you know what what most of the war machine builds you see you know on the internet are you know and i, yeah, I know it's deep, to kingdoms of men or goblins and yeah just and, laugh. And exactly and i know it's a sort of you know deep rabbit hole to go down as far as this current you know time um you know the, the, the weapon the orange we have i i don't like them i mean i, I try to cannon a little bit and and it's just, oh man, you pay so many points. You got these cannons that just don't really hit that reliably, and and they just, I don't know. I, w- I really wish they had done something a little unique with the war machines for the dwarves, whether, you know, whether it's like make them so that they can count for unit strength or shoot while hinder. You know, I think I feel like there's a lot of things they could have done to make the war machines unique, and and instead they're just kind of just overcosted more or less. Um, I, I have played with organ guns. Um, near the end of second edition, I had three organ guns that were pretty much a staple in my army. Um, really, to combat a lot of the elite builds you saw, at least in, in my meta, playing in Mid Atlantic Northeast, I think you saw a lot of elite builds um, doing really well. Um, I, I think it's still viable, honestly. I think you know, at the end of the day, the organ guns are still the, you know, again, you look at damage per points, right? They they still win that category, right? So, I think can take a, a trio of organ guns, and and you know, you're not overcommitting the points, and I think you know, if you protect them, they can still do enough damage to be you know exciting. The, the thing the is, issue, though, I, right? I think the cannon has actually kind of eclipsed the organ gun, though, because even it, even within 24, it almost does the same amount of damage, especially if they're in cover, and then it's got twice the range. Uh, so to me, they, they it's it's uh, you know to me the I, I think see it as the dwarves have three war machines that are kind of they're they're all right they're they're whatever and then we have re- one really good war machine and that's the cannon yeah but you pay more points though right so you know you're paying those 20 more points it adds up we take you know multiple so just just something to consider right sure so right can on. we, t- so oh, can we talk ahead. about the um because i think this is an important point here right so you look at any of these war machines they're all around 100 points but you compare them to a sharpshooter unit right a troop of sharpshooters um, speed four, melee five, defense five, range four plus, um, five attacks, piercing two, 36 inch, right? Um, for a hundred points. So I think the 36 inches that says the, is this thing that seals the deal on the, uh, sharpshooters over like the organ guns, right? Yeah. The fact that that scoring, I mean, so the organ guns, depending on when you drop them, your opponent can run around them a little bit, not deal with them, back up. And so the organ guns are kind of stuck. Those sharpshooters are going to be able to be effective, you know, from the word go. The, so, the other, yeah, I, the other thing that I found with the sharpshooters is that they are unit strength one as opposed to zero. And people don't triple their attacks against them, right? So they have a little more staying power. Um, so your damage output, though, let's say compared to a cannon, right? Cannons over the course of a game, you shoot four times with it. You'll get around eight wounds with it. Sharpshooters will get around five. 
So you're giving up a couple wounds, but you get five shots a turn. You're probably going to do one or two wounds a turn to whatever you're shooting at. And that constant plink, plink, plink makes a difference over the course of the game. And they're harder to shift. Right. I mean, that's they're still what 11. They're still what 11, 13 nerve defense. Well, no, they're nine 11 as opposed to 10, oh. 12 for the cannon. So you don't triple your attacks, but I'm actually worse nerve wise with the same defense. Easy I, I, not been updated yet, so who's to say they're not 11-13 there? I yep. think the unit strength one, and, and that it's a scoring unit, you don't get your triple attacks on it. And also, uh, you know, in terms of some of the scenarios like invade or dominate or, you know, ones where it, it involves moving your units to the other side of the board, being able to march, you know, eight inches instead of just scooch your uh your cannon four and having it be a scoring unit i I think that all kind of coalesces to mean that so you know you you compare your sharpshooters to an organ gun that that's really the comparison that i make yeah and for almost the same cost you get pretty similar damage output uh and you get plus 12 inches range and you get a scoring unit and to me the sharpshooters just they're better than the organ gun now i think yeah they are. I think they actually compete very, very good in scenario play too. They play. I mean, invade. They're not going to get across the table, but they can. Comp- they compete in uh, control. They do it in invade and anything with a with a token on your side of the board. They are worth. They are worth it. I mean, you say that, Mike, but I, I've had actually a lot of games because the other thing I didn't mention about the three organs you take in my recent builds was also three units of sharpshooters. And and I can't tell you the number of games where they shot twice and then they spent four turns running to some objective across the board and my opponents like did not expect it at all. Right. And, and, and yeah, it sounds stupid, but that can win a game that one extra point you have, or that control point you take, you know, that's in scenario play. I've, I've done it so many times and it's hilarious. I I love it. Like, I'm just like, all right, well, they're going to march for three turns and just be over there. And that's, that's their job, you know, maybe turn six or turn seven, they'll get another shot off and, and hell they've even killed like a unit at the end of the game. That's like, you know, middle nowhere that like, why is it, why is it, you know, sharpshooter shooting them from that angle? You know, they've never seen that coming but it works. Another thing that, uh, that I love about sharpshooters is, uh, so I, I always like all of my units to be doing something at every turn, either fighting or shooting or projecting threat or something. And on some of the scenarios where you have to have, you know, a, like a loot counter that's way back in your objective, or you, you know, you scooch it back or something sharpshooters. If the other, if the other army doesn't have a lot of long range stuff, they are just the absolute gold standard for sitting on a token way back in your deployment zone because then they can still shoot because they got range 36. They're still holding the token and they're cheap. And so that, that way you don't have to tie up, you know, a, a whole horde of earth elementals or a whole regiment of Brock's just babysitting this little loot counter. You can have your sharpshooters back there sitting on the objective and still shooting. I have some cool um, units that I, I've modeled up, and then when I found out that sharpshooters weren't in the free dwarf list, I was like, well, not painting these next. <laughs> but they're on my list. They're awesome. I, I like the look of them. When I played Alex, I was like, wow, these guys suck. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, the piercing, the attacks, I think they're good. I mean, free dwarfs had access to those guys. I think I play free dwarfs every time. I think it wouldn't be close. Yeah. That's an excellent point, dude. The fact that they're not in that list makes a big difference for me, too. Right. Well, and I think that, before we get on to the next units, um, I think that is uh you know a tip of the hat to the rc for making it like a a decision right there's no obvious well that list sucks i'm not playing that one like you have to think about like 
well, dang, I really like Sharpshooters and Iron Guard and Steel Behemoths, but also I really like, like Rangers that unlock stuff and Sveri and uh, Spear Levy, you know. Nobody likes Spear Levy. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Nope. <laughs> My one complaint about Sharpshooters, right? They are the only model in either Uncharted Empires or in the main rulebook that has a modeling, you know, suggestion or anything with it. It's like, come on, guys. You know, uh, I mean, I built a troop of sharpshooters. I've got all kinds of cool little telescopes and stuff like that. Right. But I don't have any big shields in the front so, rank, right? So am so I going to get called out of the GT? Dang it. Let's move on to some unique heroes because I put the notes in the wrong order. Just kidding. Let's move on to some unique heroes. Uh, and I'll start with the two from the Free Dwarf list because they're cooler. First of all, we have Sveri Agalax on Hellbrock. And he is a hero large cav. A lot of people were sad that he went away but uh nobody has ever played with him ever before so i don't know why they were upset um anyway he's a hero large cavalry he's speed eight melee three only defense four he's unit strength one ten attacks dash 18 nerve he's straight up a brock rider regiment by himself 210 points but what he also gives you is aura wild charge plus one for berserkers this includes your foot berserkers your brock lord that is mounted with the blade of the beast slayer and all of your brock regiments so they're all charging 17 inches which is incredible um he's also crushing strength one inspiring nimble thunders charge one and vicious and that's generic inspiring too not just berserkers so i've been playing with very a lot like him very much because Wild Charge Aura is really great. Didn't he have Crush One in last edition? I yeah, he, he has Crush One Thunder One now. Oh, I, th- I thought you just—I only heard the Thunder One. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, I like I like Sverry a lot because, uh, you know, I've been thinking about hey, let's buy some more Brock Riders, and I like troops of Brock Riders. I like regiments of Brock Riders, and you know, now they outrange all that other crap. You know, oh hey, Mounted Suns, whatever. You know, you know, Knight Regiments, Knight Hordes, whatever. You know, I'm I'm faster than you. I'm going to get the charge off. And hopefully disorder you and set you up for the counterpunch the next turn. So, yeah, he's been fun. Like the first time I played him, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know that I can get the wild charge thing to to be valuable." And then I played a few more games, and people were like, "Oh, they're charged seventeen, damn!" And I mean that that puts people out. You know, that one extra inch of charge range is a big deal. You know, especially when you've got like I've run you know two regiments of Brocks, the Brock Lord and Sverry. You've got four pieces that can get really far all over the place and dude's very Egalax in the flank is going to wreck somebody's day like without question that was one big change in my opinion actually the the very biggest change to him was that they finally gave him nimble without nimble he was kind of hard to try to I, I i actually only took him once in second edition and i was just so underwhelmed uh, that I just didn't take him again, <laughs> but, but having nimble is, is just huge because now he can, he's so much more threatening to flanks. Absolutely. Um, and I, and that's going to be something that comes up with the King on large beast a little bit later. Um, but real quickly before we move on to the generic dwarf unique characters, let's talk about her the hunter. Uh, he is speed five melee three ranged three, which is huge defense five. He is obviously an individual, so no unit strength. He has three attacks, nerve of 12, 14, which is gigantic. And he is actually 135 points. Um, he comes with crushing two, individual, inspiring for tracker only. So that's basically just rangers. Um, Pathfinder, scout, stealthy. And he has the skewerer, which has 24-inch range, piercing two. And he has a special ability called aimed shot, which when her 
Since is given a halt order, the skewerer has 30-inch range and piercing three for the remainder of the turn. More or less, he is almost identical to what he was in second. Um, the only difference really is that instead of him being piercing three all the time, you have to stand still to get that. So basically, if he stands still, he gets essentially two extra inches of range because you don't get to move. Or no, one extra inch of range because he doesn't get to move. And then he gets piercing three. I like him a lot. Um, I've used him a few times. He's usually one of the first characters I drop if I have to. But, but um, I like to park him with my ranger regiments together. And then the three of them together can, like the two ranger regiments and Hernaeus can put out some damage. Um, I don't know. I dig him. He's not terribly expensive. He inspires my rangers. If I need to put them out on a flank away from everybody, they're still inspired. And dude, Hernaeus is is a badass like three attacks isn't very much but he is just about guaranteed to do a wound and melee three range three is gigantic you know he's hardly taking any penalties except for cover perhaps so at worst he's hitting on fours or maybe fives piercing two on his standard shot is ridiculous and then normally if i'm playing them right he's standing still so he's piercing three uh and then of course he can always charge in and disorder somebody because he does have three attacks on threes with crush two he's a ba i like him i gotta admit i i know a lot of people like him uh it, when i've taken him i've been a little bit underwhelmed for the points uh i mean i, I he's got a lot of utility you can always you know you, you're always going to be putting out wounds with him the problem is is that it's for 135 uh with only three attacks no unit strength it's uh I don't know. For for me he doesn't quite get there for the value. But that's you know, I, I know a lot of people swear by him and uh so if you know to each their own, but to to me he just he three attacks is just not enough. Yeah, and, and like I don't think he ever is gonna be like a heavy hitter, but it's like, oh man, you've got that one unit back there that I really need to hit and knock it out, he's gonna do a wound. So I don't know. I dig him. Does anybody else play with him or care about him at all? I used to play with the formation right back in second edition. Um, so good. And to be honest, yeah, I like the formation, but you find I like what I'm going to say next. It just I always thought he was the tax, the real tax of the formation, right? Like taking her, like that the units rangers are awesome, but like Hernandez, ah oh, man, I again I I look at the damage output for points, and he's he's not there. I mean, if he's in the right place at the right time, he's definitely going to do something for sure. Um, I like to, what I like to do with him a lot is, is really scout him out because he's defense five. He's actually pretty annoying to deal with for your opponent. So I just march him like as fast as possible enemy, make them deal with him. <laughs> like, like whether to charge him with something that they didn't want to charge with, like at least have to answer him. And that way you at least get some value out of him. But, um, but again, like I say, he, he's kind of a, I think in the right place, right time kind of character. Right on. Well, let's move on to the generic dwarf ones. Mr. Rossi, if you want to read through these. Yeah, so there are two of them. Um, they both seem to be uh, essentially variants of the Dwarf King. Uh, one is Rorden the Dwarf. Um, he is speed four, melee three plus, defense six. He's got five attacks. He has 13, 15 nerve. He is clocks in at 125 points. He has crushing strength two as opposed to one for the normal Lord. He's individual inspiring. He is mighty. He has Pathfinder. Um, and he also has a, has a rule called Now I'm Angry. Uh, which I should have been like, now I'm angry. Anyway, uh, once per game, after an enemy unit rolls to damage Rorden, 
whether in melee or with a ranged attack, the player can force the opponent to reroll all successful rolls to damage. This effect lasts from that moment to the end of the enemy turn. All units rolling to damage Rorden must reroll their successful rolls to damage. It's kind of cool. Um, he clocks in at 20 extra points compared to the Lord. I don't know how hyper useful that really is, but with defense six, now that I say that, I don't know. But the problem is that he's moving, he's speed four. So unless you're going to use him as a speed bump, I don't know how, well, anyway, um, and I'll go over the other guy real quick and then you guys can weigh in, uh, Garrick heavy hand. Uh, you can take one of him. He also is essentially a dwarf Lord, but he has, um, the same stats, but his nerve is plus one. So instead of 13, 15, it's 14, 16. Um, he has crushing strength three, headstrong, individual, inspiring, mighty, and he has regen five. That's pretty legit. Points, uh, he clocks in at 150 points. So for the extra 45 points compared to the normal Lord, you're getting plus two crushing strength, you're getting plus one nerve, and you're getting uh, regen five. So I've never used any of these dudes in my list. What do you guys think? So I've used both of them once and they they do almost the not in third edition but in second edition but i've used both of them once and in third edition they basically do the exact same thing they're almost the exact same hero really i mean basically you're just trading rorden special ability for one turn to re-roll all the d6s for garrick heavy hands five plus regeneration and they both both basically do the same thing they they're three attacks uh, or five attacks uh five there are threes to hit and you know crushing strength two or crushing strength three so they don't really do a ton but what they really are is they're roadblocks you can scooch that guy in front of someone and then they can't get through him you know because they're defense six high nerve inspiring and especially with their with their rules with regen and and the now I'm angry rule, so they're basically just defense six roadblock individuals. To me, I just don't think they do quite enough damage. I'd rather have like a you know a berserker lord that's going to do some damage, or if I'm going for inspiring, I'd rather just have a, a standard bear. But that's just me. Let's move on to the coolest and fun upgraded unit in third edition which is the dwarf lord on large beast and mr chavez i'm pretty sure i turned you on this guy after i forced you to take him to tnt right i've been using a dwarf on large beast for a little while to me it was actually one of the main reasons i actually started the dwarf list um i have one of those really cool cyborg models the dwarf from the bear um so i always loved the idea behind the model uh that was super cool and yes we me and billy obviously used it in tnt and i had an awesome game with it we, the kind of joke was that he was terrible, right? So he, he kind of sucked. Um, and now, with the new rules, I think he's fantastic. Absolutely amazing unit. Um, let's just go to the stats real quick here. He's speed 7, melee 3, defense 6. He's unit strength 1, which is a big, big deal. He's got 7 attacks. Nerve is 15, 17. Um, and he clocks into 200 points. He has crushing 1, thunders 2. He's headstrong, inspiring. And big thing is he's now nimble. So... This guy can do so much and, and just has so much power. Um, it's kind of even hard where to begin with this guy. Um, so the, the big changes I think you really got on him is, A, the um, the nerve bump. Um, the 13-15 he had before was 
kind of in that range where you got wavered pretty easily. Um, and, and yeah, you have headstrong, but it was just, it just wasn't enough. Uh, defense six on a 15, 17 is absolutely is just bonkers. I mean, that puts him on the level of, of you know, he's as tough as any regiment uh, you'll see out there. So really, really a lot of nerves to get through for the points. And the nimble height four is just, he can do basically whatever he wants, you know. I mean, he's got speed seven, which is enough to get him where he needs to go. I think I think it's you know it's not it's not necessarily great, but it's 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 enough that he can threaten flanks and and do all sorts of things. And he's also inspiring, which is something you're going to need in the list, you know, somewhere. So um, I've been using honestly, I've been using like two to three of these actually per list I've been building recently, and and I love them. They work they work really well in tandem. You know, I, I found that a couple of these like like angled well can kind of force your opponent to really kind of back off and, and, and really have no good charges. Um, you know, there's, there's a perfect anvil unit while also again, threatening and having the speed to kind of get where they need to get. Um, you know, again, nimble is phenomenal, right? The, the options are unlimited. You can go 14 and pivot, you know, you can pivot twice. You can, you can just get and get anywhere you need to with these guys. And, and, you know, I, I'm just absolutely in love with him. I mean, the, to me, it's, it's the absolute all-star. There's so many armies just cannot deal with this guy. You know, they, they have to charge him. They, they can't kill him. They're getting flanked by something, right? That That's kind of, the, the I think, the way it goes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, <laughs> I don't know if you guys love him as much as I do, but I think he's the absolute all-star to me of the whole list. I think, I think really, he's fantastic. And, of course, the modeling opportunities on it are cool as well, right? I know, Billy, you, you've enjoyed that at least, right? So I've played with him a bunch. I've started playing a lot more with Severi just because he synergizes so well with the Brox. But, I mean, they kind of do... Um, a similar role, right? Like they're nimble, they're tall, they they threaten flanks. If it's turn six, they can turn around and run fourteen and go grab an objective. Like they do it all, and I super dig them. I mean, if you look at it, they're basically a speed seven, tons of crushing, nimble iron guard regiment. I dig them. I, I think it's awesome that he got upgraded. I know um, complaining on the dwarf page for a really long time that. <laughs> he needed either a bump in nerve or he needed to be nimble or he needed to be less expensive or something. And they were just like, all right, cool. We'll give him more nerve and make him nimble. And I was like, bet. Yeah. Let's do this. I, I agree. So, I think giving him both is what really like kind of makes him over the edge. Like, and I think it's a unit you really have to play with to, to see how good it is. Right. Like on paper, it may not look over that overpowering, but again, it's the height, the nimble, all those things. I mean, I find myself with like, you know, he's got three good options to turn, and I have to decide which one I want to do. Do I want to flank that unit? Do I want to run out of the way and block this unit? Do I want to, you know, do I want to tie yep. these archers down? It's like, it's like, and that's why I keep taking more of them because, like, oh yeah, they're all doing great things. So I, I, think I that's agree something that we're seeing a lot of nimble, uh, nimble in addition to uh, in addition to the high nerve is is what pushed him over, even though he does cost more. And I I, I have to say uh, in. <laughs> One thing that I've also found that he is really, really great at is uh, if if a knight unit has gotten into combat or or is somehow uh, disordered so they don't get their thunderous charge, he can sit in front of even very high-powered knight units and just take it because he's got that high nerve defense six, and if they don't have the thunderous, he can sit there all day and just kind of whittle them down and he's inspired he inspires too so he just he can sit in front of a 200 point night unit or a 240 point night unit and he can actually grind those units down if he can if you can get their thunderous off them nice well do we want to move on to the 
other mounted character that is 99% always mounted, Mr. Mueller? Sure. Uh, so, uh, the Berserker Lord, he was my favorite uh, individual by some margin in 2nd edition. Uh, they did uh, dink him a little bit in in 3rd edition in some ways. Uh, but so I'll just go through it. He, he's speed 5, uh, hits on 3s, defense 4. And he's got seven attacks, so they shaved one attack off him. And he's fearless 16, so they shaved one nerve off him. But he's the same points. And he's got crushing one, individual, inspiring berserkers only, vicious and melee, which is actually new. Uh, You know, a lot of people didn't realize that because he's so often mounted on a Brock. But in second edition, it was the Brock that gave him vicious, now they just are vicious, which is nice. I'll, I'll actually talk uh, about one one thing in, in a second here. And then he also has Wild Charge uh, D3. And so really, in my opinion, there are two ways to take this guy. And I took both of these all the time in second edition. And I've continued to take one of them in, in third, but the, the other one's not quite as great. Uh, so he's always been great on a Brock where he loses his wild charge. This is for 30 points. Uh, he loses wild charge, but he gets speed eight. And then he uh, switches over to Cav, obviously. But the, the sort of standard Brock Lord build is you put him on a Brock and you give him beta, the blade of the beast layer, and just kind of wind him up and watch him go, uh, you know, with seven attacks, you know, in, and it's anything that's large infantry or bigger. So, there's always guys like that. You know, if you're playing ogres, that's the whole army, you know, and, and uh, with with individual, he can see all the different directions. Um, and so really what he is, is he is our sort of uh, gold standard dragon fighter flyer defense unit. And, and with and because he has vicious against all those large units, he ends up having crushing strength three. And so, you know, he, he's, he's just, uh, he's crazy. Um, and he's really good. And the, the other way that I took him in second edition, I admit I haven't taken him this way yet, is with wings. Because he was such an excellent war machine hunter. I know a lot of people like to take the defense six work with wings as a war machine hunter. But I found that sometimes... Uh, because he only had five attacks as opposed to in second edition, the Brock Lord, or the Berserk Lord had eight attacks. You couldn't always one shot four machines. And if you fought, came up against an actual unit, you know, you'd have to grind and grind and grind and you, you, you they might end up taking you out with the eight attacks. The Berserk hit so much harder. Uh, so now he, he's not quite as good because he's got the one fewer attack and the wings give you minus one defense. But he also has wild charge die three, which means that he now will have a charge advantage on other fast chaff like gargoyles and and the like, or or he can also just get that one to three more inches against a war machine if that's what you're doing. And also because even though he does lose one attack, because he's got vicious now, it kind of mitigates that a little bit. It, it almost it almost wipes it out because in second edition, the flying berserker Lord didn't have vicious. I've been toying with the idea of taking a flying one. I have a model that I made for it just cause I have a cool model. Um, yeah, the D three freaks me out a little bit, but I was like, eh, they're already D four. Like 
it's not a huge difference, I guess. But what about you guys? Have you guys you guys play with the Berserker Lord? Have you guys ever used this guy before? Never, never run. Never, yeah. never run. I will legitimately say I'm the only person yeah, who's never I mean, run a Berserker Lord. Out of everybody, so I, I've you never run a Berserker. <sighs> I have a problem. I am so you contrary. I'm such a contrarian. I'm like, nah, they're so good. I'm Mr. not going to bother. Hipster over here. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> 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 Let me tell you about some um, fans. They're so awesome. Right. Uh, three of them every game in second edition, Mike. Every game I played with dwarves, I ran with three. I ran three of them. Blade of the Beast Slayer on a Brock. Blade of Slashing on a Brock. Mesa Crushing on a Brock. And they did work every single game. You know, there was never a game where I regretted taking three Rock Lords in second edition. Yeah, the games I've played in third edition so far, the nerf is steeper than it looks, in my opinion. The the, the point of nerf, yeah, but the drop just from eight to seven attacks, man, it's, eh. and I, I don't have any metrics I've kept on it, but just anecdotally, they got... This is a bigger hit than, than than it looks like on paper, in my opinion. They just are not as punchy and as not as survivable. Um, they can still serve the same role, but and I, you know I will still run at least two of them, if not three of them. But it's not quite where it was for second edition. So I should agree with you, Nathan. I was actually really curious to hear what your thoughts would be. I know you ran three <laughs> they were so long. Um, I've actually dropped them from my list. I used to, you know, used to take one with the with the Blade Beast Slayer. It was, it was you know, it, my my list was, you know, like that was the first thing I added, right? It was Brox and that guy, and and I actually don't like him anymore. I mean, think the fact that um, I agree that there's the nerve, the nerve hit it is it's a deal, man. It's a big deal. I think um, it's just everything's just a little bit weaker. He does like. He was at that sweet spot before. He could just, you know, you could rely on him doing five wounds to any combat. And now, you know, it's, it's like four and change. And, and, and yeah, it's 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 good, but it's not overwhelming. I think the way it was before. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I look at again, I look at the dwarf lord on, on large base, and I think that that gets me. You know, I, I get the same seven attacks out of it. I get, you know, but I get the defense and the nerve that that I want. You know, from a tough character. I don't, I don't think the berserk lord has anymore. I, and, I am, and I missed. I, I don't. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I I was going to say I'm actually looking at my free dwarf list. I'm looking at taking a berserker lord, but not on a Brock. I think the way to take him is to stick the wings on him for an extra ten points, because that twenty-one to twenty-three inch charge, right? Um, and since he has vicious all the time now, I actually think that's really worth worthwhile. It also makes him harder to pick out because he's not sticking up over everybody else, and he can fly up with two regiments of Brocks and kind of like give them the leadership until he's off to the races. That's that's my thought. The thing is, the, the the sticking up above everybody else is what made him so good in second edition on the Brock, right? Because he can see those characters, those war machines, everything behind that infantry horde, and he can get around there and get back there to them, right? When you put him with the wings, he's still just height two, so now that's he can't true. see those units behind there. True. And I mean, he's an individual still, so he gets his free pivot, and you know, uh, an individual still gets nimble, so he gets two turns yeah. in the charge. And now he can't get back there to that stuff. So science. I, I still think even <laughs> even with the nerf, I, I still think that I, I like him in a lot of my lists just because so many lists, especially cons- competitive lists, always have at least one or two flying big baddies, you know, 
uh, dragons, king on chimeras, whatever you say. You know, they they just all they're omnipresent. You can never get away with them, get away from them. And and even after the nerf, he's so good because he can pivot in three sixty, and with you know basically crushing three uh, and and vicious, he, he's gonna be able to put a lot of wounds on those and you know the, yeah the dragon will attack back but he's not going to wipe him in one turn not with you know fearless and inspiring and they they just don't have enough attacks usually so he can tie it up for that one critical turn put a bunch of wounds on it and then the next turn something else can hit it and finish it off and so I, that's that's the main reason why i just i can't seem to break him out of my list I do have a question. Why is he not mighty? Out of any character in the whole game, why is an angry dwarf riding some, or just an angry half-naked dwarf running around the table not mighty? You know, I, I don't get the the lack of mighty on him. Um, you got to wear pants. Test, pants I, mighty. You got to wear mean, pants. I, That's <laughs> how it is. <laughs> I'm sure that it would just be a little, a little broken if if you know the Berserker Lord had mighty, but. Um, I'm going to kind of, uh, echo Mueller. Like I still find a place for him all the time. Like, I mean, just reliably the ability to do damage, uh, your opponents have to watch out for him cause he's going to punch your dragon in the face. And even if he doesn't kill that dragon, he's going to put some wounds on it and set it up that you can get him later. Uh, I don't know. I dig him. Well, I think he's pretty and, dope. And also because dwarves, at least now we have the King on large beasts and with nimble, but, other than him, there we don't have any nimble units. We don't have any flyers, so it's always a giant pain if something lands behind your battle lines, because then you got to freak out and you got to move stuff around. This, if flyers are just such a nuisance because we just don't have the mobility to deal with it. And this guy is—he—he he just is—he's the ultimate insurance plan. And even with the nerf, uh, you know, I liked him better before, of course, as most everyone did. But uh, boy, he, he with those with those flyers, he, he's still just too valuable to me. Yeah, I think I think that's the important thing too. Is I, I think now the, the way I see it at least is that he's not an auto include anymore. Like you have to analyze it, right? Are you playing in a meta that has a lot of flying dragons? I, honestly, we're still really new to third edition, right? I mean, I don't know if that statement's going to be true, right? Six months from now, like I think you could see dragons phase out of the meta. Like I think it depends, um, you know, or maybe maybe it's the exact opposite, right? And there's every list runs three dragons, right? It, it's going to depend. On those, I think that if, if you're in the situation where you are running to flying dragons, you definitely need something to deal with them, and he does that well. Um, I think that's going to depend on that. It's, I mean, I also like that the King of Large Beasts gives just general inspiring, versus his is still like Berserker only inspiring, so it's going to depend on what's in your list. I mean, there's so I think a lot of things that go into that, and I think just make sure that, you know, if you're taking this guy on your list, do do the work, right? Analyze it. Don't just put him in there automatically. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on. We've got a few more items to get through. Um We've got the Dwarf Lord, and this one has a pretty significant variant in the Free Dwarf list. So, Nathan, why don't you touch that one? So, the uh, Dwarf Lord on uh, foot, pretty similar to where he was in 2nd edition. Um, speed 4, melee 3, defense 6. Uh, he's an individual, regular infantry. 5 attacks, 13, 15 nerve, 105 points, height 2. Brush 1, headstrong, individual inspiring, mighty. Uh, those stats are the same between the, uh, the Imperial and the Free Dwarf lists. You know, it's pretty common between the standard dwarf list and the free dwarf list. They swap headstrong 
for Pathfinder. So I don't know how huge of a deal that's going to be, but, um, you know, it could be a thing. I agree. The Aura Iron Resolve is out of control good. It also doesn't have the limitation to where you can't take an artifact. So actually, as a matter of fact, what I'm kind of building towards as I start painting the rest of this year and is I'm going to get a lot more infantry done, and I want to run this guy with more infantry and give him either um, Loot of Insatiable Darkness or even give him the horn to give them that 9-inch uh, bubble for his aura um i did run him at that one day um narrative event that we ran and so i had a horse shield breakers and i and i had regiments of rangers and he was just like iron resolve iron resolve iron resolve all day long it was awesome you surround him with spear levy that's the key that's the so, spear that's levy. so my, my thoughts on these guys are yeah i i agree that the the free dwarf lord is uh quite a bit better than the dwarf lord just because of that special rule and i i think that in the in the list you know it is tragic that you know of course it would have a lot more utility if you had a bunch of iron guard but even with that in in the free dwarf list it's still amazing um you can still fly. The other thing that you could give him is because you can give him a magic item, you could give him wings. And so he could fly around and give, uh, or you know, you wouldn't be restricted to your little eight inch March range or anything anymore. You could, you could give him uh, that and he would go from defense six to defense five, but then all of a sudden he would have way more threat range he could take out some chaff, maybe if they, you know, you had some stupid gargoyle regiment flying in your back or something. Uh, and then on top of that, he can fly to where he's needed and and uh, give it some iron resolve. So that's that's the main magic item that I see working there. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm gonna go a step further and say either take wings or leave him at home. I mean, I think that's the only way to <laughs> to really take him. I mean, at the end of the day, speed four. I mean, that's not going anywhere, right? I mean. The reason why we didn't spend too long on those special characters, their speed four lore, the individuals are just not going to do anything really um, as, as far as being where you want. And, and so I, I think the wings are absolutely necessary if you're either going to bother looking at them twice. I, I completely agree. I always took the dwarf lore with wings. And my favorite thing to do with him, if he's not out hunting a war machine or punching a caster in the face, is uh, if you're fighting against uh, uh, an army with, let's say, trash, it's got a unit with a unit behind, you charge that unit in the front. That has a bunch of you know a bunch of units behind it, and you just tie it up, and the guys in the back are like, "What's going on over there?" And they can't see because I'm height one, right? So like I'm just holding up multiple units with my one with my one flying dwarf, and that exactly. that usually yeah it ties people up. Yeah, he's defense five now, so you got to watch out for that a little more. But if you get that resolve, it kind of helps make up for it. So it's it's kind of a wash. Yeah. So, uh, also with that, the you know the regular dwarf lord, because if he takes that horn of heroes. He can't take a magical artifact, and I also see the Horn of Heroes. It, it's neat, but it's also so situational. Uh, you know, I mean, for 15 points, you reroll Headstrong. Well, you know, Headstrong's already working 66% of the time, so then you just up that to what, whatever it ends up being. I think it's eighty high 80s percent uh, of the time. Okay, I mean, that's that's good, but is that difference really worth... 15 points and not being able to take another magic item. That's the case. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, not really. exactly the problem. Right. That shouldn't even exist. I, I hate the it's, fact that you have to trade, choose between the two. Yeah. I, I don't like that at all. I think it's kind of a dumb. Well, it's, it's a choice. that isn't a choice. You're like, no, I will not exactly, do that. Exactly. Exactly. And 
Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't agree with their decision there. I think there's just a race that last sentence there on him, and then he'd be viable. Because I, I like the theory behind it. It's like, you know, like dwarves, like, you know, they're headstrong, but they're they're even more headstrong, right? Like, the idea is, like, they're headstrong special. Like, I thought, I thought that always should have been the case. So I kind of like the idea of this, like, oh, okay, it makes their headstrong, like, really reliable. But, again, the way they present it here is just never going to be taken. I think if you let him take an item, and then you can still give him the loot or something else to do, then that's cool. But yeah, as it stands, not being able to take an item with the standard dwarf one is no bueno. He stays well, at home. And, and just re-rolling the headstrong, it's just so situational. It it doesn't it doesn't always come up. I mean, yep. you'll have games. I'll have games where you know you might only have a, one or two headstrong rolls anyway because they just you know a unit either dies or it, it or it doesn't need to to roll it. And and then even on the ones that it does, two thirds of the time you don't need a re-roll. <laughs> you know, so it's. It's uh, it's just hyper situational. Agreed. You'd have to build the army from the yeah. There's it's so many things, right? We can list gets longer and longer, and why it's bad. All right. Well, let's talk about a character that's really good. Yeah, buddy. This is the Steel Juggernaut. It is a large infantry hero. He's height three, speed five, melee three plus, range five plus, defense six. He's got five attacks, dash thirteen, nerve. Crushing Strength 2, Inspiring. He's nimble, which is pretty cool. He has a hand cannon at 24 inches. So essentially, that's five shots at Piercing 2 with steady aim. Um, 150 points. Uh, I like this dude. My Imperial Dwarf list is running two right now um, for a couple reasons. One, he's doing something every turn, which is nice. He's either shooting or he's punching things in the face. Uh, More importantly, he's got that Defense 6 with Dash 13 Nerve, and he's a scoring unit. He's unit strength one with nimble. He's really, really good. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I actually have to say, even though I'm mostly running free dwarfs right now, uh, he's the number one unit that I miss out of the free dwarf list, even more than, I guess, partially because I don't have my uh, iron guard painted up, but <laughs> I just miss him so much. The, the other thing that he does just really, really well is he defends war machines. Because he's got nimble, he can actually do some damage if uh, if some flyer flies back there. You know, he's got inspiring, so if you park him next to you know a few cannons or something, and they take some lightning bolt shots, he'll he'll keep them up and running. And uh, I, I think he makes it, he he makes a really good sort of guard dog for a, a group of cannons or even uh, even some rangers just to give him some inspiring and. Just a little bit of extra punch if something charges. I like him too. I I don't know if he's great. I think he's he's a very tricky unit to use. I think mainly because he has the hand cannon attack, which I think is like kind of a trap. It's like if you, I think the the key of him is getting him in the right spot at the right time. I mean, he's speed five, and he really like he what he wants to be doing is getting in combat right. I mean, he's got three five attacks on threes with. Uh, crushing was it crushing too yeah so i mean he, he's and he's nimble so i think if if you're smart with him you're going to be marching him most of the time and not shooting him i think you have to be kind of really making sure you're in position um you know i really want this guy in front of my army most of the time just like taking the hit first because he's got a good nerve and good defense where he can take a hit from a random unit um again i think i think you just make sure you learn how to play this guy properly because he, he's he's definitely more of a finesse piece alex i've been running him uh in the, i've been taking a unit uh, an army with a lot of regiments and he floats in between the regiments right so if i run right. this, 
four regiments. He's in between the 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 two of them. It's hard for people to get in to charge him, and then he's always if someone goes into one of the regiments, he's in for a flank, and get he does flanks, damage yeah. on the flank. Dude. That, that, that's what I think. I think he he needs to get flanks right. Like you kind of yeah kinda has to right because because that's but he can. That's the good news, right? The good news is he got nimble. He's got speed five, so he can actually do it right. So. Uh, and again, I assume you're, you're doing the same thing, right? You're probably marching him more than you're shooting him, right? The shooting is, is kind of a trap, right? Pretty much, right? Maybe first turn, second turn. You know, there's always that stalemate turn. You move up, and then you kind of hang out and jockey. And then the jockey part, he's he's shooting and waiting to, waiting to see what's up. Yeah, with the steady aim. The the I I still think my my main role for him is you just take one of them and you park him back by those war machines because normally. When when somebody is going to dedicate something to war machine hunting, it's uh you know something light, something really fast, maybe a, a little individual, maybe uh, a unit of gargoyles or or some fast cav unit or something. If those charge into a war machine, that guy's going to kill him the next turn or or come close to it. And uh, instead that way, instead of just sitting there and watching all your war machines die. You can kill them, and also he's kind of he's kind of a back backline scoring unit. So you know he could either give you some some points, or also he could hold an objective or a loot counter or something. That's that's in my opinion where he really shines in the list. Is there any uh, is there any magic artifacts you guys like taking on him? I wish he came with dread. Blade slash got him on him, which is okay. Yeah, blade of slashing is okay. Maybe piercing arrow. Although piercing arrow is kind of a waste because I mean you're only hitting on fives to five attacks, and you already pierced two. So maybe to go ahead and try to confirm, you're going to get at least one wound in off of him if you're going to do that. But again, like like you guys have said, if you're using him as a shooting platform, it is kind of a, a waste of points, kind of a trap. Um, what about brutal? Brutal will be good on him. I don't know if elite. Elite or Vicious are probably overkill with him. Yeah, um, the, two unit, the two items that I like on him are Blade of Slashing and also the Healing Brew, just because he is Defense yep. 6. And he's nerfed 13, which is pretty tough, but you know, you kind of got to watch it if, if somebody puts a couple of wounds on him. So I, I think uh, I think those two items are, you know, they're dirt cheap. You can throw them on them, and they both have sort of immediate utility. Let's say, anyone ever tried Trickster's Wand on him for Hex, like for some like counterplay or like that? I think that'd be kind of funny. And he's tall enough to see over a lot of stuff. I mean, right, he's exactly, right? yeah. yeah. He's got the height. I, I think it'd be interesting. I've never done it. I just kind of thought about it, to be honest. But it'd like, be a cool little thing. And it's only like, a 10-point item, right? right? Yeah, it's 15 points, and, and so Hex 2, I mean... Hex is Hex is pretty strong, right? You see the, the meta now, right? I, I'm curious what you guys think about that. I've played with, like... The king on large beast with the trickster's wand, just because I had 15 points lying around. But it, yeah, I think this guy would be a good candidate too. Like you said, he's tall. He's you know he's cheaper, which is nice. And we don't really have a lot of other good targets uh, for the trickster's wand, just because we lack a lot of access to tall things that should be standing back and shooting. Um, what about slapping like Diadem or something like that on him as well? You know, if he's going to be inside there mixing it up. I think then you're kind of burning some points because part of the things that the you're paying shots. for with that the 150 points, you're you're paying for that that 24 inch range five shots piercing two. Um, so I, to me, I, I think I'd just stick with his ranged attack that he's got. Honestly, like Trixer's one is interesting, um, but I think other than that, I'd probably just keep him cheap. You know, brutal, uh, slashing, 
Mesa Crushing, something like that. Well, let's move on to the Free Dwarf Packmaster. Another Free Dwarf exclusive unit in the Free Dwarf Packmaster that came out of Vanguard. I think it's pretty cool. It has some unique synergies. Speed 4, melee 4, range 4, defense 4. Easy to remember. It has 3 attacks, 10-12 nerve, 90 points. Doesn't sound like much, but he's got Crushing Strength 1. Individual Inspiring Beast only, so basically only inspires the Mastiff Packs. He has Pathfinder and Scout, and he has a special shooting attack called the Homing Mastiff, which has 12-inch range, attacks 6, piercing 1, and it always hits on a 4. So it's basically a baby version of the Throwing Mastiff that you can use unlimited number of times. But he has a he has a single Living Legend upgrade called the Mastiff Munchberries. Gives him Aura Vicious ranged on all Throwing Mastiff and Homing Mastiff ranged attacks for 10 points. I haven't played with him yet, but as soon as I read this, I ordered the model. Because I have a stupid idea for an army that involves taking some of these guys. What do you guys think about the Packmaster? I like him a lot. The Mastiff Munchberry upgrade is almost compulsory. Just to give yourself vicious on those attacks is fantastic. And if you're taking one of these guys, you're probably taking a bunch of, of throwing Mastiffs on your other units. And then if you... What's the, the Sacred Horn? Is that it? That extends his aura out? Yep. Three inches? I think that's a really good add-on for him as well. Just to, to go ahead and stretch out there and make all that stuff vicious as much as you can for that first good throw. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears> you'd be hitting at least, at least four to five units, I want to say. Like, at least regiments. If you're, if you're doing it that way so that's a, that's a really clever use actually i didn't think about that what's cool is since the ring mat the hunting massive packs are shorter than your infantry if you position it all right he can hit both regiments of infantry and the regiments of mastiffs at the same time pretty cool i'm excited to try some stuff with him my opinion of him is that he, he would be neat if you have a whole bunch of massive packs and then you stack them with infantry like that but i in for most armies, I think his main competition is going to be the flame priest. With a flame priest for about the same cost, you can have his upgraded uh, fireball attack, which would be very similar in damage. But then also he would get to uh, he would have that bane chant too. And I think that most armies and most situations, the flame priest is just going to have more utility. Well, unfortunately, in the Free Dwarf list, we don't get access to the Flame Priest. So this is kind of our option for that, I, I suppose. And the Imperials don't get the Free Dwarf back. That, that's, that's true. That's true. So, But if you're having um, you had, like, a similar army list and you were trying to decide if you wanted to go Free Dwarf or, or Imperial. Right. That makes sense. Well, either way, the model is... the. the model Mantic makes for it is stunningly beautiful. I mean, it's like super high quality resin and I bought one and I'm excited about it. Moving forward, I know there's one more unit that we need to talk about. So let's talk about the massive hunting pack, just a swarm of dogs, basically. They came in, I want to say Clash of Kings 18. They're pretty much the same, I think, that they've always been, which is speed 6, melee 4, defense 3, unit strength 1. They have 9 attacks, nerve is 11, 13, which is actually fantastic, and then yep. they're 65 points. So... I mean, they're they're the cheapest unit we have, right? Flat out, and they have unit strength. So, I mean, they're they're pretty good. I have to be honest. I've taken you know two units before. I've taken one unit. I've taken no units. I mean, I think I think there's definitely room in your list to beef up um, with a couple of these guys. 
Um, again, if they're just sitting objective the whole game and do nothing, that's that's perfectly fine. They do have crushing one against cavalry, and they have the option to take a throwing massive. I don't think I ever take that upgrade just because their whole advantage is being cheap. I wouldn't pay, you know, almost like was that thirty percent of their cost just to just to get them a little bit of range attack. I mean, they can screen for for units if you really need to. If you have some horrors you want to screen with, I, I just think they're really versatile, really useful. I mean, yeah, I don't know what you guys think about them. These guys are how you win control with dwarves. I've won games of invade because I had a massive hunting pack that. My my opponent ignored and they ran across the board and I win. I've, I've won games of control because they sit literally in the very back corner and they forget they exist and I go, cool, I have another quarter over here. They yes. screen your units perfectly. That 11-13 nerve, dude, I can't tell you how many times someone charges in. They're like, oh, hinder charge will be fine. I'll, I'll kill them. And then they rolled and they're like, oh, I only did three wounds. And I'm like, yep, they're fine. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, definitely underestimate. I mean, dude, you, you don't think twice. Most opponents don't think twice about charging them, right? Thinking that you're gonna mop them up, and and again, they're definitely not gonna die from from random stuff. I mean, it's a lot of nerve. So for one, I I can't say enough good things about them. Uh, I know a lot of people like compare them to some of the other chaff that a lot of people think are great, like you know, red goblin scouts or something, where they have speed ten and nimble and vicious and all this stuff, but. I actually do give them the uh, the throwing dogs just because then they become really a really really good deterrent and anti chaff and and they actually can oftentimes take a turn of shooting without just getting deleted with a threat range of 18 inches because you can move six fire 12 they can almost always get off that those dogs before they die another thing is uh, oftentimes a lot of the units that they're going up against are those light fast cav units you know if, if they face off against a unit of red goblin scouts or something like that they can they can often just take them down in combat even though they're much cheaper just because they do have that that higher nerve and they get crushing one against cav and they just get ignored and i i, I love taking them with the, the with the dogs i think they're great anti-chaff too and and nine attacks on fours is nothing to sneeze at because I have literally killed a dragon with a rear charge with these guys. I mean, that's fluky dice, but, you know, if you're getting 27 attacks, you throw a Banechan on them, that's some damage because people don't think about it because it's just a chaff unit. At Masters last year, I had a uh, I had a regiment of dogs destroy Joey Greek's uh, Shadow Hulk in the flank. And, uh, <laughs> yes. So I'm, uh, I have loved these since they came out. They they are, I know there's a lot of debate about it. I personally do think they are the best chaff unit in the game at the price point. I mean, I, I think you can use them similarly to how, how Matt was saying on the Ogre review where you kind of like block off the corners of the unit. I do that all the time with them. You know, you, you hop them in front and you can make it impossible to charge, you know, your hordes. And if your hordes are alive at the end of the game, that's how you're scoring. I mean, if that only gives you one extra turn, perfect. But oftentimes these dog packs don't die on that first charge because people underestimate them. They'll charge them hindered and then fail, you know. Then my horde is lasting two turns, which keeps them alive longer, which I think is, I don't know. I think that, that's how you get around the lack of heal is you have to play smart in not getting your stuff killed faster. That wraps up all the units. Let's go ahead and take a little commercial break, and then we'll come back, talk about our favorite units, how to play the army competitively, and maybe share some lists. 